get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For me, Craig Berube is instrumental in the rebuild, retool, reshuffle of this team. Craig Berube is not opposed to changing things, right? He broke into the NHL as a head coach or as a coach with the Philadelphia Flyers, became a head coach. Then he was off to do other things. Then he came back, kind of refigured things out in Chicago in the American Hockey League. Right now in this offseason, he's going to have to evolve again because you've got some young players now. And it's not just coaching anymore. You've got a whole defensive core that's on long-term deals as far as your top four are concerned. How do you coach that? How do you have the demands? How do you hold them accountable? you got a couple of young forwards who are making big bucks. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? So Craig Berube and the staff are going to have to evolve once again. And learn how to, you know, hold their hand to the fire. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane talking about how instrumental Craig Berube is going to be as he tries to lead this team through the rebuild, retool, uh, retrench, whatever the word is that you want to use to describe what the Blues are getting ready to go through. They continue their quest to the end of the season tonight in a game against Vancouver. You will hear pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning at 6 o'clock. Puck drop for that one tonight right here in your home of the Blues 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Get excited. The Blues play an ass team who is probably going to be selling off pieces. Hey, maybe one of those pieces could be coming here to St. Louis. Brock Besser, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's nice to play against a team that's on the same playing field as you. They are 22-30-5 yeah. on the season, Vancouver is. They are actually somehow worse <laughs> than you are. Alex, I did want to ask you a little bit about Craig Berube, because speaking of teams that don't have head coaches, uh, Vancouver had to figure out what they're doing with their head coaching situation recently. I don't have any questions about Craig Berube. I think Craig Berube is an excellent head coach. I'm not alone on that. You are talking to Bill Lindsay for the pregame show later on today. Here's what he told you just a little bit ago about his thoughts on Craig Berube. Craig Berube as a coach, to me, he is still one of the game's best coaches. There's not going to be a problem there behind the bench. If they just keep pushing and with the, to me, they were better off without Tarasenko. That one trade, it was Tarasenko wanted out, wanted to get out. That, that that becomes an issue, you know, holding on to him. So that, that trade immediately, to me, helps the St. Louis Blues. Uh, O'Reilly gets shipped out. Now you have to determine what the next best course is trying to rebuild with draft picks and young players. He said at the beginning there, he still thinks that Craig Burby is one of the best coaches in the game. I agree. When you're thinking about what this retool is going to look like for the Blues, Alex, for you, taking Doug Armstrong out, but including all players currently on the roster, 
all the coaches currently on this team. Where does Craig Berube rank for you among the most important people, the most important pieces in this retool for the Blues? So a lot of different names can be in this list, but I'd have him third. And there are two people on this team that I would have ahead of Craig Berube. And it's Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Because everybody else below Craig Berube in my list already plays to the style you need them to. And I know defensively they have not been doing that. But Craig Berube got the best out of a bad team last year. Same roster, same defense, and nearly beat the Colorado Avalanche. Had Perron, had O'Reilly. Barubi's third on my list because below him, Shen, Saad, Buchnevich, you know, the, the younger players, the Torepchenkos, the neighbors, those guys I can expect to give me it all. Thomas and Kairu, we just haven't seen that at times this season. So those two guys are going to be the most important in this retool because when they're ready to buy in to what Craig Barubi is selling, then this team's going to be successful like they were last season. But then it becomes Craig Bruby because I don't think he has any say on those those guys anymore because now it's a matter of he's put the he's given the answers to the test as Jamie Rivers likes to say and now it's up to them to use the cheat sheet so that they can pass the test. I, I think I'm with you. I think I would put him around third where I think it is more Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo. Now it's on them to kind of figure it out, be the leaders, be the new leaders of the team, and also be that they have to be your best players to come out of this rebuild. And then I would put Ruby probably right there at three because he's going to be the guy that's going to be in charge of, you know, getting Zachary Boldwick when he's up with the St. Louis Blues, whether that's next year, two years, whenever that may be, get him ready to go for the NHL. Same with Jimmy Snuggerud. I, I think Baruby's that guy that's going to, have to take some of these younger players to the next level. Jake Neighbors falls into that category too. That's why it's disappointing that he got hurt and probably going to be done for the year. I I think Ruby probably does fall into number three for the St. Louis Blues because I agree with you. I, I don't think there's anything more that – he can do for Thomas and Cairo. I think it is more Thomas and Cairo have to figure it out themselves at this point. I don't have him third. And I'm not even sure I would have him in my top five. And that's, again, not a shot against Craig Burby. I said at the beginning, I think he's one of the better coaches in the league, but the NHL just doesn't value coaches the way that a lot of other sports do. Um, I don't know if that's right, wrong, or indifferent, but it's the reality of the way that the game is played. I would have Thomas and Kyra. I'm totally with you guys. I think every Blues fan would have them one, two, in some order on their list. I would have Buchnevich, Shin, and Benner all in the top five as well, just because they are all going to be a part of the long-term build of whatever this is going to look like in the next iteration of the St. Louis Blues. And I believe in Craig Berube. I think that Doug Armstrong believes in Craig Berube. But if Army in the offseason or at the trade deadline decides to hit the fast forward on this retool and he goes out and gets a Timo Meyer. He remakes the defensive core in the version of what they want it to be in 2023 and beyond. If it doesn't click, I think the next step in that is trying to figure out, okay, do is there another coach that can make it fit? Because if you go out and get a Timo Meyer, man, there's no tinkering with this six. That's it. That is what you're going to have to work with. And if this coaching staff, if I'm in army shoes, can't make that work, then I need to find somebody else who potentially can. And if that coach can't make it work, now we've got to start looking at the players again. But I think that's the way they're probably going to have to view it. And so for me, like 
Where does Barubi rank among the most important pieces in this retool? He's important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to diminish him in any meaningful way because I think he matters. I think he's one of the rare NHL coaches that does matter. But I think there's quite a few players that are above him right now in the pecking order. The, the, the decision for Doug Armstrong to go down this path tells me that Craig Berube is going to fulfill his contract in St. Louis, and it's not going anywhere. Even if they make a trade to go get a Timo Meyer or a Jacob Chikrin, Doug Armstrong views, his, views Craig Berube as the guy who can get the best out of this roster, and he has done that. Last season, the advanced analytics were giving you the exact same outcome as this season for the Blues prior to all of the trades, and it just didn't work this season. But the reason... Craig Berube is that important to me and is the Colorado Avalanche. That's my example. And Jared Bednar, because Jared Bednar would be up there for a lot of teams that say arguably one of the best coaches in the NHL right now. John Cooper's the other one, but John Cooper had a little bit of a different circumstance. But the reason I bring up Colorado is, look, they did have Nathan McKinnon and Landis Gog and Miko Rantanen on the team. That's a first overall pick, a first overall pick, and a 10th overall pick. Some pretty damn good players on that sure. roster. But Jared Bednar took over that season, the 2016-17 season, in the midst of the Avalanche already missing the playoffs for three consecutive years. The first year he took over, they missed the playoffs, and they were one of the worst teams in the NHL. It's how they got the Kale McCarr pick. Then after that, it was make the playoffs, second round of the playoffs, second round of the playoffs, second round of the playoffs, win the Stanley Cup. But then I also look at the players. I look at Nathan McKinnon, who was three years into the NHL as a forward for that team. That season, when they Jared Bednar took over, he had 16 goals and 53 points and, and a minus 14. Uh, Miko Rantanen, who we all love seeing how he performs this season, he was a minus 25 with 20 goals. And then Gabriel Landeskog, a minus 25 with 18 goals. The reason I'm bringing this up is Jared Bednar stepped into a situation with a group of players that kind of didn't know where they were and led them into success. That's where I feel like the Blues have right now with Craig Berube. Maybe it's a little bit of roster. Maybe it's a little bit of construction that needs to play take place for Doug Armstrong. But Craig Berube would be number three on this list because if he's going, if I need a coach to get the best out of my players in Thomas and Cairo, and it hasn't gone well this season, I'm going to look towards that coach the way that Jared Bednar did with his players and the way that John Cooper did with his players. I think the the counter to that though would be maybe they go out and find their Jared Bednar next year. And I'm, I'm not advocating for this. I want to make that very clear. I have said, and we have been steadfast about it, Craig Berube is not the problem, and I don't believe he's ever going to become the problem. But if you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes and he does go with the more rapid approach to the retooling process and he goes out and gets a, a Timo Meyer is just the name that I'm using here because he's been the one that's floated out there could be somebody else this offseason as opposed to somebody at the trade deadline but you go down that path you get a top, legit top six winger and you pay him a bunch of money over multiple seasons if that doesn't end up working next year that would be more like year two of the Jared Bednar situation where Bednar in this scenario does not make the playoffs it doesn't go well for him and they continue having some struggles under him. I don't know what that would have looked like for the apps. Also, that's at the front end as opposed to the second real version of the team that he's coaching. I, it's a tough comp for me. I, I see where you're going with it. And if things work out next year, it's a good comp because I think Bednar is, has proven to be a very good head coach in the NHL. And I think Berube is that. And so maybe you have a similar trajectory. I think that the tough part for me would be if you see year two with Barubi and it doesn't, 
I guess next year technically would be year two in this scenario, uh, and it doesn't start going on that upward trajectory with the progress being clear, that's where I don't know what the, the next iteration looks like. The, the tough part with that is if you're bringing in a multiple new faces that are going to be in a heightened role, how do you combat a new face into a new system? And to, there, there's just so many, there's so many kind of X factors that go into it that you're not sure about, but you're right. I, I mean, but if, if you bring in those players, if you're army and you believe in them, then the next thing that you look at, and I, I think that it's wrong that the NHL does this, but it is the way that the league operates. The next thing you point to is the coaching staff. Yeah, but you did that also in the midst of bringing in new faces when you moved on from the Petrangelos and those, and it didn't work out for you. So, But then they did it again, and it did. It resulted in a Stanley Cup. Yeah, but that but that core was in place, and that was a different head coach. You brought in the head coach for that, and I don't. It is very rare that you fire a head coach. I mean, frankly, it had never happened up to that point that you hire a coach midseason and he takes a team to a Stanley Cup championship. I, I understand, but there are, there is a midseason bump that we see from teams that make those changes typically, and it's, it's been something that's happened quite a lot. You're in a rocky road. It, it it it's a bump that happens temporarily, and then it falls off quickly. You're in a rocky spot right now because if you're bringing in new faces how do they acclimate with the faces you have in place those faces do they feel that they're getting shortchanged because now you're bringing in another player like that's the that's the off the ice stuff that Craig Berube and his staff works with and that's the point that at least he's had a lot of success in the past with it for what reason it went wrong this season I'm not sure because last season he was fine with working through all of that he found his way to do that a lot of this season resides on certain individuals so that's why i kind of have craig berube third on that list but i I, if doug armstrong's going down this path doug armstrong's gonna have a longer leash i believe than one season yeah no i i think he's gonna have are you talking about for like the organizational have a longer leash with doug than they do with With berube no i'm saying the berube's going to have a longer leash than one season if they don't get a team i I don't know i find it tough to see a scenario in which berube can outlast the retool unless he wins and and what i mean by that is i i think it's to be case point army wants this to be a quick retool i i think there's a chance we go into next season where berube's the guy under the most pressure and that feels weird to say but I think it might be the case because if he does, if Army does make moves and feels like, okay, I think I've gotten us back to a playoff team, because I don't, I don't think when a Stanley Cup is the goal next year. I think the goal next year is just get back in the playoffs with the quickery tool, and then you can build upon the core, and in two, three years, you're back into another winning kind of Stanley Cup window. I, I can see a scenario in which they look at it and say, okay, it's not working. This maybe, yes, is it on the players? Absolutely. But maybe they just need a new voice in that locker room. That, that's why, I, that's why I, I brought this up. I think it was when BK was out. I, I thought there was pressure building on Baruby during that five-game losing streak before the All-Star break because it just felt like the team had quit on him. I think Doug made that very clear this season. And to me, that it, it seems very odd that it would flip so quickly of one season when things go bad that you say the coach is not in any situation concerned right now. This is on the players. It, if you ship out these players and you're still having the issues... I believe Doug would say, now we got to look at the players that are still here. I don't. I don't think that he would look at because the players that are still here are Thomas, Kyrou, and Chen, basically. And you're not moving those guys. That is like Doug Armstrong Said has the made the same it. thing about O'Reilly and Tarasenko a couple of years ago. That, that was different, though. O'Reilly I don't and Tarasenko. I mean, I feel age-wise like you, and contract-wise, it's it's clearly very different. That would two be years like shipping ago, out Tar- Tarasenko at the front end of his new contract ago, extension. Blues fans couldn't fathom the idea of them moving on from Ryan O'Reilly. I, they should have. 
Man, it's it's what Doug does. And the, the age is a huge part of this, man. He just signed 23 and 24-year-old players to eight-year contract extensions. Whether you think he was right to do that or wrong to do that, he did it because he believes in those players. If he had questions, it would have been a four-year contract. It would have been some kind of a bridge deal for those guys. He doesn't. Doug Armstrong is all in on Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Those are his pillars of whatever the next version of the St. Louis Blues look like. And we all have them as one, two on our list ahead of Craig Berube for a reason. It's because nobody, maybe even Doug Armstrong, has more power right now within that organization, has more staying power, I should say, than those two individual players. I I genuinely believe that to be true. And so if it doesn't work next year with them, if they have lost the ear or if Barubi has lost the ear of those guys, I don't believe he has. But if at the end of next season, we're still having this same kind of conversation. Yeah, I, I think there will come a point in time where we are having real conversations about what does this look like long term? Is there a Barubi army pairing between them? Those two are the most important people within your organization to lead this Thomas Kairou group. And what might end up happening is they end up being wrong about Thomas and Kairou, and it costs a bunch of people their jobs. But I, I think that's where they're heading because they have gone all in on Thomas and Kairou right now. And, and kind of to that point, and I know we got to wrap up here. This is the second time in what the last three, four years in which it feels like we're going into another off season and we're saying army and brew. We have to get back on the same page. Like there seems to be another disconnect between the front office and the coaching style of Craig Berube. So I, I think there is something there again. I, I, I agree. I think Craig Berube is a great head coach. I, I do think the way the NHL operates, he is going to be the guy that c- could, depending on what they do in the offseason, could be under the most pressure going into 2024. And it all starts the rest of this season because we need to see the young guys re- respond to him. And it, it's not about the wins and losses. It's about getting them back on track. It's about finding a way to keep this thing on the rails. And that's going to be the job of Craig Burby for the rest of this season. And then more importantly, what we see from them going into next year, if Doug Armstrong makes the moves that sounds like, according to reports, he's at least looking into. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're talking to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. I want to get his thoughts on what he's going to be watching for over the next few weeks for the Blues heading into the trade deadline. But coming up next, there was an MLB.com article on reasonable goals for every team in Major League Baseball this season. What would your goal be team-wise for the Cardinals in 2023? We'll give you ours and share what MLB.com had to say about them coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more coming up in questions and answers, but a bunch of people have just tweeted this out. The Cardinals have officially announced this year's Hall of Fame fan ballot. They are allowing one to get in this year from the fan vote. I'll give you the three that I think are most likely to get in. You guys tell me which one you think actually gets in this year. Steve Carlton, David Freeze. I guess I'll give you four. Matt Morris and Edgar Renteria. Who do you think gets in this year? Any any ideas? Yeah, it's pretty simple. David Freeze, right? Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Like, that's incredible that David Freeze is almost certainly going to get into the Hall of Fame over Steve Carlton. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. It 
I, I mean, he holds a special place in the history of Cardinals baseball. Uh, but that's an amazing thing. That one postseason run. I mean, that tells you what October means uh, can can lead you to being one of the uh, most fondly remembered players in the history of such a storied franchise. We we're just talking about this a little bit off air. Uh, you've got to be three years removed from your playing career, which means that Yachty and Albert will be on the ballot. You would think they'll both go on in. the same year. I would imagine they go back to having two fan yeah. votes that year yeah. where you, you're make able to exception. get both of them in. If not, uh, I feel bad season. for Yachty or the red ribbon <laughs> committee will vote the other one in. Uh, if they were, if they kept these rules and you only got one in, do you think Yachty or Albert gets in first? Albert goes in first. I think it's Albert. Has to be so Albert because he had the best prime. You've probably that this generation will ever remember Albert in history. Albert Follow-up might be question. the the closest to the unanimous vote to the Hall of Fame that fans uh, could get. Yeah, the fans can get because you know there's always at least one idiot that'll do one or two. Sure. Nah, he's not there. Follow up: Is the answer different if Albert didn't come back last year? Does Albert or does Yachty get in over Albert if Albert didn't come back last year? I still think if they Albert, retired at the same year. Still think Albert would have gotten in before Yachty. I, I don't know, man. I think so too. It's one of the greatest hitters ever. It, I think Yachty would have gotten in. See, I think it still would have been Albert because we saw him come back to St. Louis twice and he still got a great reception to where kind of that That's bitterness fair. towards him from when he left had clearly disappeared. So I think even had he not come back, I still think he would have got in ahead of Yachty. All right. The question that we were going to ask here, let's go ahead and get into this. Um, MLB.com put together a piece on the reasonable goals for every team across Major League Baseball. Will Leach wrote this. And for the Cardinals, his goal was to at least win a game in the NLCS. Guys, as we head into the 2023 Cardinals season, what is your team goal? What do you think is a reasonable team goal for the Cardinals? NLCS. I, I think that has to be at least the goal for this season for the Cardinals because just getting to the NLDS to me would seem like a letdown for how they've built this team and what they've talked about and uh, for the pieces that they put out there. If you get to an NLCS and you lose, I would consider that a successful season for a team that didn't get out of the wild card the last few seasons. So I would say NLCS, and if it's anything less than that, I would look at it as a disappointment. I think I agree with Alex because I I think what Will Will Leach wrote is fair. I, I think a win in the NLCS should be the goal. Not just get there, but also win at least one game in the NLCS. Because I I think that would clearly say, okay, the front office was right on a couple of things. You know, the outfield, they did the right job and stuck with them. They're right on whether it be Newport or Walker being ready for this season. Jack Flaherty was healthy and he was an ace and was able to lead the Cardinals to this spot. Or the front office went out and made a couple moves and they actually lived up to their word and said, hey, payroll's going up and they made a big trade that helped propel the Cardinals there and the depth ended up coming through for the Cardinals. But not only does it tell me that, you know, the front office was right on something, it tells me that, hey, St. Louis has now entered a new window in Cardinals baseball, and it's a new winning window. And I don't think that – I think a lot of people thought that window was last year. I I don't think they started a new winning window last year. I think this is the first year that we see they either entered this new phase of Cardinals baseball or they're going to take a couple steps back because the outfield wasn't ready. They didn't have the ace that they thought, and there's a big question mark around the team. I think this could be the year in which the goal should be, okay, let's get to the NLCS and let's announce our presence once again in the National League. Uh, from the 314, guys, why even play this season if the World Series is not the goal and expectation? <laughs> <laughs> I think there are different things between being satisfied with the season and exceeding every possible expectation. Being satisfied means like 
this was the goal that the expectation that we set and they met it. Nothing more, nothing less. I think over the last few seasons, you could make an argument that the Cardinals didn't even meet those expectations because of how quickly they were moved out of the postseason. I think this year, what Will Leach wrote is pretty much where I'm at. Get to the NLCS and at least make it a respectable series. If you do that, I'm not telling you you should be over the moon with the Cardinal season this this year. But I think that meets expectations. And then it would show you they're on the right path. And in future years, they will continue having opportunities to go to play for and potentially win in the World Series. So that that's where I'm at right now. It, it is getting to the NLCS and don't make it a uh, national series where it, it's just a complete shellacking where your offense never showed up or where your pitching staff gets absolutely rocked. Make sure that you're a respectable team once you get there. That, that's where I'm at as well. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service X line. But coming up next, we're talking to Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN here on BK and Ferrario. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tonight against Vancouver at home, Alex and Joey will have the pregame coverage starting at six o'clock puck drop with Joey and curbs tonight at seven right here on your home for the blues 101 ESPN. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Joey Vitale, blues analyst for 101 ESPN. We always appreciate his time. Joey, how you doing today, man? Joey, Joey, (sighs) Joey. Hey, boys, 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 what's going on? Having a good day. How are you guys? Joe, a follow-up from yesterday that we had with Chris Kerber. Favorite Nicolas Cage movie. Go. Oh, easy. Con Air. Yes! Are you kidding me? There we go. Joey, what would you guess? What What would you guess Kerber said to that same question? Oh, he probably would. Oh, man. (laughs) What was the one? Snake Eyes with John Travolta? That was a pretty decent one. I think he was like a... Face off! Oh, face off was a good one. I forgot about face off. Face off was good. Uh, Moonstruck was wasn't he in Moonstruck with Cher? Moonstruck he, is. He went with uh, National, was National Treasure, Treasure, Joe. Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> 
<laughs> Joe, I thought you would have said National Treasure because you've got five kids and they've probably all watched National Treasure, but no, you went the good answer. I thought Joe no might way. go gone in 60 seconds. Gone in 60 seconds was good, too. Um, I love that, you know, Bring Sally Up song. That was, that was a good opening uh, opening drive song and scene of that movie. But no, Con Air, start to finish. Listen, guys, I need a movie that's going to make me laugh, um, make me cheer, make me cry. Like, I need every emotion. That's like Titanic. Like, Titanic, it's going to give you pretty much everything you need. Pirates of the Caribbean, another perfect example. It's going right. to give you everything you need, right? Con Air, I mean. At the beginning, he's a hero. Then he gets in that fight, and they play that Leanne Rhyme song. How do I get through? And then he starts to cry a little bit, and then all of a sudden, he's back in prison. Then you're like, oh, no, this is not good. And then he takes over the plane. I mean, start to finish. You laugh, you cry, you cheer. It brings out every emotion. Con Air, without question. Anyone who does not say Con Air, I don't think we be friends. Joe, you're, you're absolutely right, though, about Titanic. It does bring up... Every I've always emotion. compared Con Air to Titanic. Titanic in terms of cinematic I mean, achievements, they're, get, they're really one of the you same. You cry, you cheer. Um, you know, if you get excited if you're a, a, yes, a young boy a becoming a man. I, I I know I know where you're going there. Let, let me finish it for you, so you keep your job. I may lose my job, but you don't need to lose your job. Let's put it that way. No, I, I mean, listen, I was in sixth grade. Yep. I went to St. Justin the Martyr. We went on a a group of us went to see Titanic. There was like eight boys, 12 girls. We all met at Ronnie's 20. That's still over there, by the way. Ronnie's 20 is a great cinema and uh, hasn't been renovated. I mean, it's renovated since then. But Ronnie's 20, Titanic, I, I definitely saw stuff in that movie that I had never seen up to that point in my life. And and I felt a little judged by the, the group of girls in front of me who were in our grade. They kind of were looking back at the boys. Everyone kind of knew that was coming. We heard murmurs about it. So the girls were ready to pounce on all the boys and give them those judgmental eyes when that scene came on. And you know what? I didn't care. I was just like locked yeah. into the movie. I, I'm gonna, I appreciate just good cinematography, so I was locked into the movie, even in that scene. Absolutely. That was cinematography masterpiece right there, Joe. Didn't know where you were right. going with that. When you started that sentence, didn't know where it was oh, going to end. masterpiece? <laughs> yeah. It's going to end Joe with masterpiece. Joe is our guest <laughs> here on 101 ESPN. Uh, all right, Joe, let's talk a little bit about this Blues team. Obviously, things not going in the direction that any of us had hoped. Uh, I would imagine a decent part of that was the reaction over the weekend to uh, the Ryan O'Reilly trade, which made sense. It's just tough. Uh, Joe, as you were watching that, what, what two of the guys that I had my eyes on were Robert Thomas and, and Jordan Cairo, and I'm going to be watching them the rest of this season what have you seen from that line specifically since the Ryan O'Reilly trade? And, and what do you want to see from them the rest of the season? Well, I, what I have not seen from them is to me, BK, they are not a line that is ready yet to take on another team's top line. Just plain, plain and simple. And you look at that Carolina team, the Ajo, the uh, Svechnikov, and of course, uh, Natius line, that is a line that Ryan O'Reilly would have. And Ryan O'Reilly would do a good job against. Now we're looking at uh, a life without Ryan O'Reilly, and we were looking to Thomas and Cairo to be that line now to do what O'Reilly did. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't think they're ready. And you know what? That's perfectly okay because I wouldn't be ready either because that Sveshnikov line is a good hockey line, right? You're looking at the Tavares line with Mitch Marner now, Ryan O'Reilly, that's a good hockey line. It's going to take time for those guys to grow into that role. So this isn't something where we should be critical of Thomas. This isn't something where we need to be um, lose our patience with Thomas's line now in the new role that he's expanded to without Ryan O'Reilly. 
This is something that is just a reality. I think two things stand out about it. One, sometimes you, you really realize what you're missing when it's gone. I think for Ryan O'Reilly, definitely. I mean, talk about a guy that just did such a good job shutting down and frustrating other teams' top line. So now we don't have that. But we also, as Blues fans in the, in the city of St. Louis, need to be patient with this Robert Thomas line. And, yes, it doesn't look great yet, and that's completely normal and natural. I always bring up the New Jersey Devils and talk to Tom Fitzgerald again last week when the Devils were in town. You know, it took Nico Heischer years, Jack Hughes years, not only to develop their offensive skills, but also re- realize that defensively they got to be much better as well. And now you're starting to see the fruits of all that labor that New Jersey has endured, where the New Jersey Devils are one of the funnest teams to watch in the National Hockey League. But it's taken those two young guys a lot of time, a lot of seasoning, and guess what? A lot of mistakes. And it's going to take Thomas and Cairo a lot of mistakes at times. But the thing is, you have to keep pushing them out there. You have to keep showing them the opportunity and not give up on them so quickly. Because if you do that, then to me, you're only hindering and you're only holding them back from the growth that eventually this Blues team is going to need out of them here in another year or two. And I know this is down the road, Joe, because they're going to get a lot of this uh, reps and experience for the rest of the season. But how impactful is an offseason if you're a Thomas or a Kyrou where now you know Ryan O'Reilly is not going to be around, David Perron is not going to be around, this is our team. How impactful can an offseason be for two kids like that? Well, it could be very impactful or it could be not impactful at all. And that's what we're going to find out. And really, it's just up to Thomas and Cairo to figure that out. You know, I think that when you look at a rebuild situation like this, you know, um, Shane, Doan, Shane Doan once said, it's kind of a funny story, but uh, he used the, the analogy of the Aesop fable with the tortoise and the hare. Of course, we've all, we've all heard the story of the tortoise is going to challenge the hare, and the hare thinks he's going to blow the tortoise away in the race. So all the animals in the wild, they get together at the start line, and then they, something, I think the fox maybe hits a, hits a gun, and they take off, right? And then the, the hare takes off, as we all know. And then eventually he's so far ahead, he decides to take, take a little snooze by the tree, but the tortoise just kind of keeps chugging along, and all of a sudden the, the hare wakes up, and he realizes, oh, my God, I'm way behind. i got to get going. He gets to the finish line, and all of a sudden he sees a tortoise there, and he can't catch up, and the tortoise wins. You know, and, and the moral of that story is that it's it slow and steady wins the race. I actually told this story to my, my, uh, my Kirkwood Mike team a couple of years ago. It was the funniest little story. I told them all about the development of a hockey player. It's, it's got to be slow and consistent. And I tell them the story, and they're all listening. Again, imagine six-year-old eyes just glued on you. You're telling a story about a hare and a tortoise. And I'm like, so guys, at the, at the end of the story, I said, so guess what? The tortoise won. Because he was slow, but he was but he was consistent. See that he was slow, but he was steady. Now let's go out and have a good practice. And we went out there, and all of a sudden I run the first drill. I'm blowing the whistle, and these kids are moving. They're moving like molasses. I'm like, okay, let's pick it up here. Let's, let's, let's get going now, Come on! And they're still they're still going slow. And I finally had to blow the whistle, guys. I go, guys, come in, bring it in, bring it in. I go, what is going on? Why are we not moving our feet? And one one kid named Teddy raises his hand. He's like. Coach, I thought you wanted to be, us to be like a tortoise. What's, what's going on? We'd be like a tortoise. So I'm like, like, oh, God, you guys are killing me. No, I don't want you to be like a tortoise. Yeah, yeah, you get slow and steady in development, but I, don't, I want you to be fast. I need you to be fast out of here. So it kind of goes to show you the mind of a six-year-old. They, they, wanted, they thought I wanted to be like a turtle. But I say, I say the story because, you know, Shane brought this story up when we were in that, that struggle of Arizona, very similar to the situation the Blues are finding themselves in now. This, to, to, to grow out of this, it's going to be slow. But it has to stay steady. So the, the slowness, the patience, that, that's going to take years. Or as we mentioned, the Robert Thomas stuff, right? Getting the draft picks. Maybe a draft pick you get in that first round, let's call him sixth or seventh overall. It's going to take him a couple years. You have to be slow with your approach. You have to be patient, and this will take some time. But the steady aspect, 
that's what's in your control. And that's what Shane was explaining to me at the time. The steady aspects, that's the leadership. That's players like Braden Shen and Robert Thomas, you know, Tory Crew, Justin Paul, Colton Pringle. Those guys, they dictate the steadiness. And the steadiness is really the only thing that matters at this point for this team because it's all that's in their control. And by the steadiness, what do I mean? You have to stay competitive. You have to have that will. You have to have the desire. You have to put on the Blues uniform and take pride in it. You know, showing up in tonight's game against the Vancouver Canucks, yes, I know the situation's dire. I, I did all that. I've been in that position, and, and it sucks. It's really unfortunate. But there is a style, and there's a way we play the game. And you need your leaders to set that tone. And to me, look at Jordan Bennington's performance against the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes, I get the allowed four goals, but look at the way that guy competes. Look at the way he battles. Look at his passion. Look at his energy. Those are the people that are going to keep this thing steady. And it's up to Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong in this slow process to get better. You've got to find those players and those pieces to remain steady if you want to continue to see improvement. So I don't know if any of that made sense. You. It made sense in my head, but definitely <laughs> I'm not sure it made sense to you guys. Sorry. Yeah, and our, our text line is definitely following you. Uh, somebody said that what, what he didn't hear about that fable is about the guy who was smart enough to go to Vegas and actually put a 1000 bucks on the tortoise, cleaned up in <laughs> Vegas, did very well for himself. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That should be our money line bet here tonight. That's right. I'll That's throw right. it down on that one, Joe. Joe, appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself tonight at the game. We'll talk with you again next week. Sounds good, boys. It's always a pleasure talking to you, too, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. You're the See best, Joe. man. That's Joey Vitale. Appreciate his time, as always, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I did find it interesting. He mentioned um, how it took a while for the Devils uh, with uh, Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes to be able to get to where they are today, which is one of the most exciting young teams in the NHL. He's absolutely right. First of all, um, Nico, he is in his sixth full season, Jack Hughes in his fourth full season in the NHL. And now it's all starting to come together for them. I would also add this Jordan Cairo is in his third full season in the NHL. Robert Thomas is in his fifth full season in the NHL right now. Next year is when I, I hope we see that step that the New Jersey Devils were able to take this year with those guys as kind of the leading contributors. It's worth noting maybe that last year, the Devils had 63 points and finished seventh in their own division. This season, they're second in the Metro already with 80 points on the year. So it can happen fast, man. It can happen almost overnight where like you feel like you're not getting the development that you need to see or that, hey, these guys are putting up empty calorie points. And then suddenly it all turns and you're like, whoa, we have one of the most exciting lines in the NHL, one of two of the most exciting forwards in the league, and that's what's happened for New Jersey. The hope is that something similar can happen here in St. Louis with the Kyra and Thomas. Also, don't overlook the uh, addition that they made a couple of years ago when it started to turn around Dougie Hamilton coming to the team. Absolutely. Not only, I'm not speaking of the number one defenseman, of course, that's what people go to, but I'm also speaking of a player who had been in the league since 2012, a player who had been with the Boston Bruins in a winning pedigree, who was with Calgary for one of the playoff seasons, and then spent three seasons in Carolina with a winning pedigree. So, Winning players need to be around. That's why Craig Berube spoke earlier today of how important it is to have Saad and Buchnevich back on the ice. Um, you want the winning pedigrees around those younger players, and hopefully that can expedite the process. Um, but you have to make sure that those younger players are are taking what their mistakes are and building from it rather than just having the mistakes and making the same mistakes on and on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at some of the other additions that they've made and they, they have definitely hit on a lot of their additions in the off seasons and they, 
they haven't even really gotten much this year out of Andre Pilat, who they signed mm-hmm. as a, a big time off. He'll be a addition. playoff guy for him. He's going to be great for them. I, I would be shocked if he doesn't make a, a big play for them at some point or a big goal for them at some point in the postseason. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Is there anything that you can see or hear about Tyler O'Neill during spring training that would convince you that he is officially back? And if the Cardinals are going to make a big move, they're going to need to, or excuse me, if the Cardinals are going to win the World Series like many of you expect them to, hope that they will this year, they're going to probably have to make a big move at the trade deadline. We'll tell you why coming up here in about 15 minutes. Questions and answers coming up next. How do I get through? Oh, that's embarrassing. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 399-9646 is the air covered service tax line for questions and answers in about 10 minutes or so. We'll tell you about what we're hearing on Tyler O'Neill and spring training and whether or not we are willing to be convinced that he is back prior to the regular season or do we need to see it before we believe it? We'll do that coming up at the top of the hour, but let's start with this from the 314 guys. Does Pavel Buchnevich, in your opinion, get overlooked when we discuss the future Blues core? And do you think he deserves to be in discussion for a letter after the season. I don't know about letter because this would only be his second season with the Blues. Um, And I don't know how much of a leader they view Pavel Buchnevich as. But yeah, I mean, he should be in everybody's conversations when it talks about this core because he's in that threshold that Doug Armstrong placed. He's less than 26 or he is 26 years old. He's in that time frame of the Cairo and Thomas. The thing about Pavel Buchnevich is... You got a contract coming up in a couple of years and he's making what 5.75 mil right now. If he continues to play the way he is where he's a point per game player, you're talking about an $8 million player. So this is the issue that the blues are going to find themselves in. And this is also the issue that they're in now of trying to put pieces in place that are winning windows around Cairo and Thomas. That's why as much as we talk about the core of Cairo and Thomas and Saad and Shannon Buchnev, it's like, those are important. But it's just as important for a Bullduke and his Snuggerud to continue to grow in the minors and in juniors and in college hockey, because in three years, you hope that they're assets to a team that can be successful. I think Pavel Buchnevich right now is your best player. Like I, I think that he is the most productive player offensively, defensively, however you want to look at it, that the Blues have on their roster. And if you don't think that that's a future member of your core I, I don't know what to tell you so yeah I, I view him that way for sure I, I was just curious to look this up because Pavel Buchnevich so far on the season there's not a whole lot of guys on this team that can say this he's a plus four on the year you know how many guys on this roster have a better plus minus on the season and it's a elementary level stat I get it but than Pavel Buchnevich did you say forwards or players players okay because Callie Rosen is better than him plus 14 Callie Rosen, Rosen is a 14. plus 14. That is the best Number one on the defenseman. Team. I'd get him an eight-year deal. The second best on the roster is Pavel like Buchnevich against you. Four. That's it. It's the only guy on the roster other than uh, Pavel that has a plus oh. four or better is, is Callie yeah. Rosen. So I just wanted to mention that. I, I think he's been the oh, best Oh, he's player. the only one? Yeah. Oh, I, I just thought it was him and uh, someone else. No, 
No, Callie oh, Rose okay. is the only one that's better in a plus minus Never than, mind, uh, than Vooch so far this year. <laughs> Woof. He's got 43 points in 42 games. That's the other thing that he needs to improve upon, at least based on what we've seen this year. Should be nice to see him stay healthy. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy this year. Sometimes that stuff happens. It's been weird a f- year. Been kind of a freak injury for they him had the this year. Infection, infection or whatever. Yeah. That that's not his fault. But that that would be the one other thing that you'd like to see is just a little more health. But yeah, I do think he's a member of the core. You're gonna have to figure out too where he fits in with your team because we've seen stretches where he works well with Thomas and Kairu, but for the longest time this season they were also using him with O'Reilly and it wasn't working. You're gonna figure out it. Can he work with Shen? Does Shen that's need to play like wing? To you got, because that's an, that's a, a question D- Doug Armstrong is going to have to answer. Is Shen better suited as a wing playing with Thomas and Kairou or better suited as our centerman? And I think the answer is probably center long term. That dictates your offseason, though. I agree. I, I think that they used to do this a lot with pairings. It became more of lines in, recent, in the last year or so. But I think you're going to see them get back to the pairings. And I think the pairings will be, at least my guess, Buchnevich with Shen and Thomas with Kairou. Mm-hmm. And what I think they would like to see is that shin line can be matched up against the best offensive uh, lines that they're going up against and then the Thomas line can potentially go up against the better defensive unit because they think that they can win those matchups as a result that, that would be my guess uh, from the 314 guys do you think that army tries to improve the roster by acquiring a forward at the deadline and the defense once we get into the offseason I honestly could see it go either way because I as much as I don't believe it and do believe it, I could see Chikrin being acquired at the deadline, but I could also see a team of Meyer being acquired at the deadline. I don't think it's going to be anybody other than those two names though, that he acquires at the deadline because beyond Timo Meyer, you know, Alex to name. I've brought it up. You're, uh, Elliot Friedman brought him up. You're not going to get him because Ottawa is going to at least see if they can win, get into the playoffs this year. Um, there's really not anybody else that's available. So the draft is going to be how you do a forward and defenseman, even at the draft, I'm not sure if anybody's going to be available. So it's one of those two names. I would lean more towards a Timo Meyer than a Jacob Chikrin. I think the tough part with all of this and Tanner, I want to get your thoughts on this too. The tough part with all of this is I, I mentioned it yesterday, the order, because if you yeah. acquire a Timo Meyer at the deadline and you decide to extend him, every other team in the NHL then knows you have to get rid of one of those defenseman contracts because otherwise you, you can't be compliant with a cap because of what you're going to have to play t- or pay Timo Meyer. And then you put yourself into a spot that Vegas has been in in recent years where you're just simply not able to get what your players are actually worth. I don't think Army wants to put himself in that spot if possible. So I that is the one thing that I am curious about is just the order in which they go about this. I, I don't think he's acquiring Timo Meyer at the deadline. I think and which probably means they're not getting Timo Meyer because he's going to be dealt at the deadline. I think it's because one, to your point on the defense, they're going to have to ship somebody out to kind of make that work. And I don't think they can do that until the offseason. Now, you can still acquire Timo Meyer, but then you're also going to be held kind of ransom because teams know you're going to have to dump salary. And I don't think Army wants to do that. So. I, I just don't know if they're going to be ending up adding a Timo Meyer. And the other thing for me, too, is I'm still skeptical of the report that the Blues are in. I That is something that does not get out under a Doug Armstrong kind of leadership group because the I pointed the Ryan O'Reilly trade where we knew O'Reilly was probably going to be dealt, but it came out of nowhere late on a Saturday night where it was, hey, deal's done. It wasn't like, oh, hey, there might be a deal close. No, the deal was done. And I, I think the Sharks 
are they're kind of doing what MLB teams do with the Cardinals, where I think they're using them as leverage, and I think that's what's happening with the Blues. They're trying to up the price, and they're saying, oh, hey, the Blues have three first-round picks. You better be ready to match that kind of offer when I don't think the Blues are truly in on Timo Meyer. In 15 minutes, it's Tanner's favorite segment of the week. We're playing a game of Believe It or Not. 314-399-9646 is the air coverage service text line. But next... Is there anything, anything that you could see from Tyler O'Neill this spring that would convince you he's back? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. is gone. Tyler O'Neill with a two-run shot. Three-nothing Cardinals. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Alex, Tyler O'Neill is going to be one of the players that is under a lot of scrutiny, scrutiny going into this season. In fact, so much so that we've already heard John Mosellock come out publicly and say this is a bit of a make-or-break season for Tyler O'Neill, They need to see him get going. And so yesterday I saw, um, I think it was Hayes who mentioned, Jim Hayes who mentioned on Twitter, if Tyler O'Neill was a stock, I would be buying. What kind of stock? Like Disney stock? Because don't do that because that is a bad idea. Maybe Apple, you know. Apple's a good stock. Feels like one Maybe of those. Facebook stock back when it first started. Charmetta. Yeah, I mean, it may, maybe maybe it's more of one that I I don't know. I'm not good enough on stocks, man. I'm, I am like, when it comes to literacy on the stock oh, dude, market, I'm terrible. I am at a minimum on that. But yeah. he's a stock that like it had this crazy beginning, and then it just dropped like a tank over oh. the last year. And you're hoping you could get back. You know what? It's crypto. Okay, Tyler O'Neill is crypto. See, we got there. <laughs> That's what he we is. got there. It had this crazy ride. We all went along for it. We're like, man, this is gonna be we wild. Were, we were, we're Tom Brady. Get rich. We said, throw it all into it. I love That's it. That's right. And then we realized, oh no, <laughs> this oh, is, son of a. This is all a stack of lies. But it could be real. And it could come back this season. Alex, is there anything you could see in spring training that would convince you that Tyler O'Neill is back? No, because spring training does not mean anything. I think we've told our young uh, Padawan Tanner Hendrickson that, that spring training doesn't matter. I'll never learn. But no, it does. Maybe, let me rephrase it. Maybe if he stays healthy throughout the short string spring training and the World Baseball Classic. If he makes it through all of that with full health, then I'll start believing because I know the talent with Tyler O'Neill's there. I know he's got the power. I understand what we're getting in this um, option and striking out. But when he makes contact, it's probably going deep. And on top of that, he's a gold glove defender. He's got the speed on the base paths. He's got everything, but it's health. But I fell into the facade of Paul DeYoung last year of like, oh, yeah, man, not to do that, man, that is sexy. He is back. And it didn't work out. So, no, I, I can't see anything in spring training or World Baseball Classic with Tyler O'Neill that's going to convince me he's back unless it's a full, uh, full, full, fully healthy. But even then, I'm still going to be skeptical because I got to see that through the regular season. So I, I, I think for me to buy in in spring training, it would come down to health. Of course, I agree there. 
And for me, it's going to come down to am I seeing him hit for power and also hit the ball the other way with authority? Because I think that was when he was at his best in 2021 was yeah. when he was slugging the baseball and he also would go the other way and was hitting for average. And I, I think if he plays well in spring training, but it's not just spring training, you see him performing well at the WBC, which is where I'm really going to have an eye on him because he's going to be going up against some decent competition in Pool C, especially with the U.S. being in that group. If he plays well in that in the world in the World Baseball Classic when pitchers are geared up, ready to go, I'm gonna say, okay, he's probably locked in and he's ready to go for the regular season. He kind of scuffles there, but he looks fine in spring training. I'm not gonna be completely bought in. But if he's hitting the ball for power and he plays well in the WBC, I would say I would buy stock in Tyler O'Neill. That's an interesting one. I didn't really think about the possibility of how the the WBC would change our impression of him. I think you're right, because you guys know. Tanner, what's my lesson for you in spring training? All Every at-bat matters. No, oh. take nothing from it. You oh. don't listen to us, young Padawan. There, there are certain Never. things that you can watch and you can get a feel for like, okay, that's something that I'm going to keep my eye on early in the season. And then you can find out during the regular season if it was real or not. But like Paul DeYoung last year mm. absolutely tore the cover off the ball during spring training. It was one of the best players down in Jupiter. And then we all saw what happened afterwards. It, it's not real, but the vast majority of the time, the things that you see in spring training, it, it's fool's gold. But there are certain switches. There are certain changes that can take place. Like last year, Paul uh, Paul Goldschmidt was talking about how, hey, you know, I, I did a bunch during the offseason to change my swing. Nolan Arenado, same thing. I've got new equipment. I, I'm really taking into account the fact that I am a little older now. I'm doing things differently I think it can help me during the regular season, and it did. They carried that into the regular season with them. Keep your eye on it. Don't allow it to take you like all the way to the nth degree of this is going to be the game changer for that player, though. Can I get nerdy with you guys? Oh, get boy. nerdy with it. No, 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 no. So over on MLB.com, they Hold had on. a piece today. T-Bone doesn't know the reference of that song I just did, does he? I think he does. Get no. nerdy with it. No, oh, no, really? No, no, Do you no. know who God, sings no. that? No. God, no. Okay. Uh, five hitters poised to be bounce back candidates. Nope, not, not exactly. Uh, similar era. Uh, bounce back candidates in 2023. So basically five hitters that they think are going to be better this year than they were a year ago. A few of the names that are on this list. Max Muncie is included. Uh, you go a little bit further down. They've got Nick Castellanos. They've got Jesse Winker, who is now with the Brewers, and Jared Walsh. Those are a few of the names. The other one, Tyler O'Neill. This came out earlier today. Bear with me. There's going to be some nerdy numbers in this. Good. Tyler O'Neill was one of the best all-around players in the majors in 2021. He joined Ronald Acuna Jr., Shohei Otani, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Who, buddy, talk about three players to be grouped with, as the only qualified players that ranked in the 90th percentile in ex-WOBA, mm. which is just a measure of how great you are at the plate, basically. Really, really gets me going, man. And sprint speed. In other words, they were top 10 percentile in how hard they hit the ball regularly and how fast they ran. It's a rare combination to have. Ronald Acuna Jr., Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis Jr., Tyler O'Neill. That was back in 2021. They continued. Then he regressed with the bat last year. Started to look much closer to 2021 down the stretch, though, offensively. They add that uh, Tyler O'Neill recorded a 387 ex-WOBA, which is very good. In the final 31 games of last season, he socked eight dingers in that span. Did you just say socked eight dingers? That's right. And then he left with another injury, which we know in mid-September and didn't play again in the season. In addition to the injury misfortune, 
He also dealt, though, with very poor luck at the plate, tying for one of the 20 largest gaps between his ex-WOBA and his actual WOBA. Tyler O'Neill doesn't have a long track record of success beyond 2021, but he is, according to MLB.com, due for an uptick in production this season. Long story short, Tyler O'Neill was a bit unlucky last year. And if those numbers are real, we know he hits the ball really hard. He could be in for a bounce back season in 2023. Greg Amsinger, guys, said something earlier today that I found to be interesting. And I do think Tyler O'Neill applies to this conversation. Here's what he had to say about the top 100 players in Major League Baseball and how it applies to this year's Cardinals team. We've been doing this, this top 100 since 2011. And what we found is no team heading into that season won the World Series, eventually won the World Series, without having five top 100 players on our list. Hmm. You have Hmm. to have five to win the World Series. This is going all the way back to 2011. The Cardinals going into 2023, I have really sad news to report, St. Louis. Cardinals have four. Tyler O'Neill was on the list last year. He's not on the list this year because obviously he had a bad year. But that's kind of the difference maker for this team. Mm. All right. Mm. So we had a clarification from Greg Amsinger. I had Matt Rocchio text him. Said, did they need at least five going into the season? Or could it be after the year they have five on the next season's list? Bad news for you. Had to be on it now. So the Cardinals are going to have to trade for a top 100 player in Major League Baseball in order to win the World Series this year. Who's on the top 100? Who's number one? Shohei. Uh, Go get Sandy Alcantara. Can we get him? We'll have him. Uh, Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola available? Have him. Not had. Have him. You got him? Connor Jerpy. Oh, cool. Cooper, I think, is his name. Is it Cooper? I'm pretty sure it's Sorry, Connor Thomas, Cooper Jerpy. Top 20 uh, Cardinal for the upcoming season for your boy. Love it. I... I hear where Greg Amsinger is coming from. I, I don't know that it is necessarily like a requirement to have five. After the season, what they're going to do is they're going to say, you need to have four because the Cardinals are going to win the World Series with me? four of them on there. I'm saving myself 162 days. I don't have to watch a baseball game all year. I think Tyler O'Neill can change this. Because by the end of the season, guys, it shouldn't shock anybody. Both of these things can be true. If Tyler O'Neill is a top 50 player in Major League Baseball on next year's top 100 players right now list, like that is very much in play because what, what we would end up saying if O'Neill gets back to his 2021 form is that 2022 was a weird year. You were coming off of the lockout. You had the arbitration at the beginning of the season, and then he got hurt. That would be the outlier season if this year he's great again. That's how we would view it probably at the end of the year. If he's bad, well, then it's just it was a one-year outlier in the the opposite, right? I think Tyler O'Neill has the potential to change this discussion for the Cardinals because he he could and probably will in a in a even good scenario be a top 100 player in Major League Baseball this year. So I I think when we do our top 20 most important players and we're starting that list here pretty soon, ladies and gentlemen, I think Tyler O'Neill is going to be prominently featured on that list because of the upside that he carries in that bat. Hate to bring it to you guys, but I forgot it was on my list. <laughs> of course, you did. didn't put it on my list. I I think I agree with that sentiment because I I think that this lineup, when it, if it is going to be kind of top three in baseball, and I I think, and I think my list reflects this when we do unveil our top twenty. 
that I think the identity of this baseball team, if they're going to win a World Series, will be that the offense is the reason why, because they were slug, baby slug. Uh, I, I think he will fit into that category because he's either going to be that sixth sixth place hitter that you look at and go, holy bleep, I can't believe there's six guys deep, or he might move up in the lineup because he's hitting the ball well and maybe it's Newpart didn't pan out or so, for some reason they just only have one guy at the, in the leadoff spot, and he's hitting two and he's mashing the baseball and getting on base in front of Paul Goldschmidt, and then maybe Yepes slides into that kind of sixth spot if that's the case of the lineup. But I, I think he is one of those guys that th- if this lineup is going to finish top three in Major League Baseball – it's going to be because Tyler O'Neill bounced back. Agreed. And it's going to be because the Gorman or Yep has one of the young guys stepped up at the DH spot. But I think the driving force for them to be a top three lineup in baseball will be on the shoulders of Tyler O'Neill. And we'll see if he can hit. I don't think there's that much pressure on him to do that because it doesn't feel like last year was where it was like, hey, you're that third impact bat. And I think that kind of weighed on him a little bit. He's not the third impact bat now. He's more of kind of a complimentary piece, but he's one of those complimentary pieces. If it hits, you're going to be one of the best teams in the National League. I think him and Newt Barr both have that potential for the Cardinals in this upcoming season. Somebody else mentioned, guys, Jack Flaherty also didn't make the top 100 list, and he could easily be a top 100 player at the end of the year. That's the thing. The Cardinals have a lot of guys that could potentially be on that list going into next year, and then you look back on it, and Greg Amzinger will come on the show with the, with the uh, morning show, and he'll say, yeah, Cardinals were the outlier, but there was an obvious reason why. They had two guys that didn't make the top 100 list that now everybody would have on the top 100. Right, and that's the way that he'll describe crazy. it. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the juncture. But next, it's Tanner's favorite time of the week. Mm. It's a game that we like to call Believe It or Not. Let's sing together coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. PK was throwing out nerdy numbers earlier. Let's get back to basics, guys. What's basic? This fantastic song that saved America. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Three nine 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 six four six. It just gets you going every single week. It we is believe it or Mondays. not. You're on one hundred and one ESPN. No, don't ruin a good thing, man. I think if you, you guys have a scenario. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we believe it or not. Your controller unplugged or something? <laughs> My controller. You. It was, it was like home breako the yeah. other night. Or Jordan Kyrie more often than you'd like to admit. Honestly, uh, it was all of them. Touché. All of the defensemen just. Their, their controller evil, stopped. Man, that controller never gives out. From the 636. <laughs> Guys, if the BK and Ferrario show was in charge of making the MLB Network top 100 list, the whole Cardinals team would be prominently featured in the top 26. You're right. <laughs> I have had an internal debates on my 20 most important Cardinal players where Drew Verhagen relies, whether it's ninth, third, or 15th, somewhere in that range, because he might be a starting pitcher, you know? Oh my, if he's a starting pitcher. I, I know I joked that I, I don't have to watch 162 games. I know I joked and said I don't have to watch 162 games because of Amzinger's list. We didn't have five guys. Verhagen's start, I can guarantee you that's day one of the lack of games I'll be watching. 
Uh, believe it or not, Jacob Chikrin or Timo Meyer are on the Blues come opening night of next season. I'm actually going to say I'm not believing this. I, I think they will have a significant addition. I'm going to say it's one that we haven't talked about just yet. It'll be kind of a Pavel Buchnevich type where only Alex Ferrario is able to predict it. And Alex Ferrario did predict it. Don't forget that. Don't forget that at all. And also, uh, I have a whole list of people that I've predicted. So if any of them happen, nailed it. Uh, I'm actually going to believe this because one of those two names are best case scenario for Doug Armstrong if you're trying to turn this around quickly. They have the assets to acquire one of them. Heck, they got the assets to acquire both of them if they really wanted to. But uh, I'm going to say believe this because one of those two players will be a blue. I'm not going to believe it because I think the first step in acquiring, maybe not so much Chikrin, but I don't think they're in on Chikrin anymore. It's more of Timo Meyer for me. The first step acquiring Timo Meyer would be training a defenseman, and I don't think they can do it until the offseason. And again, I just, I'm not fully invested in the reports that have come out. I think the Blues are being used as leverage across the league, and they're not truly that interested in Timo Meyer. So I'm not going to believe this. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service text line. Guys, believe it or not, the Blues will finish with fewer points on the season than the Arizona Coyotes. I'll believe it. I want to be optimistic in life. Now, there's some games and hand stuff going on here, but right now, for what it's worth, the Blues do have 55 points on the season, and Arizona has 49 points on the season. So six points back are the Blues. It is worth noting, Arizona's playing better lately they have points at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, oh my gosh. nine, ten. Ten of their last 12 games. I hope we don't do that again. <laughs> they played well, man. Ten of their last 12 games. They've at least reached overtime or, or one in regulation. Um, Arizona is really bad, but they're playing bad. I, They've got young kids that are buying in. I think I'm going to believe this. I think that I believe it that Arizona ends up with fewer points this year, or excuse me, more points, points. this year than the Blues. I'm not going to believe about. this because once March 3rd gets passed and the Blues team, the dust settles of what this team looks like. I can't I can't decide in my mind if that's good or bad for this team. I think it's going to be good for this team because it's going to be a group of guys that says, this is our team. We've got to get this right before the offseason. And that's when it will kind of start to trend in. In the positive direction. So I'm I'm not going to believe this. Blues one. are really understanding the assignment right now. I'll give them credit. Hell because yeah, they are. They are right behind Philly for the number eight pick right now. And man, they are working their way up towards Arizona, Vancouver, and Montreal. If you get into that top five, now we're talking about an almost 10% chance of getting the number one overall pick. It's not bad. That's what I like to hear. I'll take it. Hey, I mean the the number one team, Anaheim, in terms of the odds have roughly the same odds based on Vegas projections as City to win on Saturday. So just put it into perspective. (laughs) Always going back to City, huh? Why do you hate soccer, BK? Just putting it in perspective, you know, with the Vegas odds. Uh, (laughs) 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will finish at least one player in the top three of the MVP race. Believe it. And I'll even tell you, the Ferrario guarantee, which we know is Mr. 95%. It's Nolan Arenado. Arenado, Arenado in my opinion, is going to have a, a sour taste in his mouth that uh, he was third in that race. And seeing Goldschmidt get it, Arenado is going to be the guy that gets it this year. Maybe I'm wearing my bow tie. Maybe I'm wearing my mo underwear, but I'm buying in. It's Nolan Arenado. You heard it here first. I think I agree with you. Yeah, I Alex Ferrario, the first one to say that Nolan Arenado is good at baseball. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. Maybe you just didn't listen to what I said. Never said good at baseball. Said it great. MVP. Great. Said great at baseball. I uh, I'll believe it. I, well, I maybe think you it, should try some hot takes every I, once in a while. I, I think it would be. <laughs> I think it would be Nolan Arenado. I, I think both him and Goldie will take a slight step back this year. And when I say Goldie, I mean Goldie not being like the best hitter on the planet for you know five of the six months of the baseball actually season. Actually starting off slow at uh, yeah, the Yeah, maybe uh, actually starting off slow. Bad uh, part of the year. I, I think the one guy though that could like really repeat his season from last year is Nolan Arnado. And if he does that, he'll be back in that top three of MVP voting. So I will believe it. I think they get somebody. Um, I don't know if it ends up being Tyler O'Neill. This guy thinks it's Newt. Or, <laughs> come on. Oh, Wilson, Wilson Contreras. Maybe, maybe though. Maybe they do. Um, Wilson Contreras, I, he's an interesting player going into this season, man. Um, you should wait to see where he's on my top 20 list. If I had to place a bet on somebody, I, I would also oh, agree that it ends up being um, Nolan Arenado. Oh, way to piggyback off of somebody's hot take, yeah, you know. jerk. Uh, all right, guys, believe it or not, Eric Bieniemy will be a head coach in the NFL after this season. I hate to say this, but I'm not going to believe it. I agree. I, I, I His stock is going to go down after this season because of Washington and their quarterback disaster that they have. Um, and it's unfair to him because he should have got it before this. But what's going to happen now is all of the um, owners are going to look at him and say, see, this is why we never gave him the job, because he doesn't have the chops to get it done as a, as a head coach. Yeah, I... I... I think I'm with you, and it does suck to say because I think he probably should be giving a shot when he was with Kansas City, but I, I just can't see a scenario in which you look at what he does in Washington because it starts with quarterback, and everything coming out of Washington is we're not hearing them in any of the buzz with any of these quarterbacks that are going to be on the market. Now, maybe that ends up being a good thing, and they're kind of flying under the radar, and they make an acquisition at quarterback. Maybe it's Derek Carr, and we look back on that and go, that was a smart signing, and Eric Bieniemy helped get that offense on track and got them to the playoffs. Then maybe he becomes a head coach, but because right now everything coming out of Washington is, hey, Sam Howell's our guy. Yeah, it's <sighs> going to be tough for Bienemy to God. convince people he's the next head coach because even if he's a great offense, and I think he is a good offensive coordinator, you can't do anything with Sam Howell. So I have to say I'm not going to believe it. Okay, this one comes from a 314. I just want to mention this because it's so stupid. Whoa. Somebody said, did you guys hear what LaShawn McCoy had to say? He told us the truth why he didn't get hired as a head coach. He doesn't know passing plays. First of all, if you honestly believe that a guy who has been around the NFL now for 25 years doesn't understand passing concepts, come on. Second of all. Wasn't a, didn't a running back say that? Yeah, LaShawn oh, okay. McCoy. Good. Second of all, let's talk for a moment about LaShawn McCoy's experience in Kansas City. He thought he was still the same player that he was in Philly. Fumbled like four times in the first eight weeks of the NFL season and then was benched. Why? Because he fumbled too damn much. Have you ever seen how LaShawn McCoy holds the football? It's like out here. It's way away from his body. And the Chiefs said, hey, you got to start holding that high and tight. And he said, yeah, that's not how I play. I'm not going to do that. Because he's never played that way. Totally fair. He used to be a superstar. Now you're not, though. Now it's time to adjust because you didn't use to play. the. Uh, you didn't use to fumble. Now you are because you're getting older. Guess, guess what happened afterwards? LaShawn McCoy's right out of the league the next year. Never played a significant role on another team. The Chiefs were right. Eric Bieniemy was right about LaShawn McCoy. And now he's bitter about it because he didn't get to play the way that he wanted to. So he took his, bo- he, he took his toys and went home and sobbed. And now he's on Fox Sports 1 bitching and moaning about how Eric Bieniemy was mean to him. All right, I'm sorry. Be a big boy. Buck up. You tried to make your career continue and you failed. That's on you. Sean McCoy, that I'm, it is so frustrating. Some, and, and I'm just, I'm saying some, BK, 
could argue that that was a little Kansas City bias that you just did right there. <laughs> some, <laughs> some I, I wonder where you're going. Some people. Yeah, nobody in the room. No, nobody no, in the no, room. No, God, no. I'm just saying somebody driving around right now listening sure. to you rant about that. Might say there was a little uh, way, Chiefs. Um, Six one eight. Didn't he win a Super Bowl with Tampa? I, did he play in that Super Bowl? <laughs> he was Bowl? on the roster. He yeah. won the Super Bowl oh, the same way that what's his face just won the Super Bowl with Kansas City. Who was the dude that signed oh, Melvin, Melvin Gordon? Gordon. Yeah, yeah. He's, he won the, the way that, that Melvin Gordon did. Melvin Gordon said, I didn't do bleep. Yeah, I just <laughs> rode on the coattails and got a ring out of it. LaShawn McCoy in 10 games the following season with Tampa Bay. You want to hear his stats? Oh, 10 carries that. for 30 yards. Hey. That was it. That was his season. That's Super Bowl. Three champ. yards per carry. His career over. You know why? Because he couldn't play. Can't play. He, he The Craig Button. Can't play. Can't play. That, that was LaShawn McCoy. All right. Coming up next. Can the Blues become the next New Jersey Devils? I say that in a positive way. I promise you. Alex will explain it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I always bring up the New Jersey Devils and talk to Tom Fitzgerald again last week when the Devils were in town. You know, it took Nico Heischer years, Jack Hughes years, not only to develop their offensive skills, but also realize that defensively they got to be much better as well. And now you're starting to see the fruits of all that labor that New Jersey has endured, where the New Jersey Devils are one of the funnest teams to watch in the National Hockey League. But it's taken those two young guys a lot of time, a lot of seasoning, and a lot of mistakes. That's what Joey Vitale had to say with us earlier today. If you missed any of our conversation with him, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, he makes an interesting point because he's right. It it did take a, a while for their young forwards to really come together. Nico Heischer is in his sixth full season in the NHL. Jack Hughes, fourth full season in the NHL. And finally the New Jersey Devils are realizing their potential. This season, we all saw what the Carolina Hurricanes looked like the other night, right? Really good team. They are right ahead of the New Jersey Devils in the Metro Division. They're the only team ahead of the Devils in the Metro Division right now. Devils are actually ahead of the Rangers and the Islanders, the Penguins, all of those other teams. They're second. So finding out how they were able to become this version of themselves, it took a long time. They got a couple of number one overall picks in that process, but it, it can be helpful to figure out, okay, what does a rebuild versus a retool look like? And Alex, if the Blues were to follow, not the exact path, but jump on their like bandwagon mm-hmm. in year four or five of their rebuilds, if they were to start now where the Blues are at, where the Devils were basically last year, a couple of years ago, what does that look like? What do they need to do? So overall, like talking about their roster it's going to take you being bad for a couple of years and getting some top picks. I mean, you mentioned uh, Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer, both first overall picks. They also have two young players in Luke Hughes and Simon Nemech, who are two young defensemen who are selected second and fourth overall. That came um, by sucking for a while. Now, especially if you look at like how their roster breakdown is, um, they have nine players that have been acquired via trade or free agent signing, and only two of those nine are on the forward side. Everything else has been draft. But that's what piqued my interest, and I went like Sherlock Holmes style on this because defensively I think you can take a lot of similarities into what the New Jersey Devils have had in the past and how they got here. So four years ago, New Jersey was 
the third worst team defensively in the National Hockey League. Some can be goaltending, a lot can be defense. They had $29.5 million tied up in eight defensemen. And those defensemen were some aging players like an Andy Green, some underperforming players like a Sammy Vatnin, and then just some bad contracts like a P.K. Subban. So you're a team that has been bad and now stuck with bad contracts and starting to look at what this rebuild looks like. They have altered their defense in a matter of three seasons to now this year being the fourth best defense in the National Hockey League. You can argue some of it being goaltending, but we saw their goaltender Mackenzie Blackwood play against the Blues and not the greatest goaltender. You give a lot of credit to their defensive side. So so this is what I found with it. They overhauled their defense in a matter of two years by trading out some bad contracts. Now, Blues fans aren't going to like to hear this. They had to stick it out with a couple of bad contracts. They couldn't trade away P.K. Subban's $9 million. They had to stick it out for three years. They were unable to uh, walk away from uh, a contract, uh, Mirko Mueller, who was making like $3.5 million. Had to wait it out until he became a free agent. But they were so able to... Kind of, yes. They were able to trade away two contracts, one for future consideration, salary dump. Another, they were able to get a second-round pick in terms of a trade to a playoff contending team. But if you look at their defense, and I went off of their, their, their top six that have played the most games this season, Dougie Hamilton, who was signed via free agency, there's your alpha dog. The guy that plays with Dougie Hamilton, Jonas Siegenthaler, he was acquired from the Washington Capitals uh, two years ago for a third-round draft pick. He's playing their second-most minutes, and he's up there with Dougie Hamilton. Then you go to their second pair, Ryan Graves, member of the Ferrari 05, who, by the way, is a free agent after this season. Uh, He was acquired from Colorado in 2021 for a second-round draft pick and a prospect. The prospect was a fourth-round pick, so not the earth-shattering trade. The bigger trade that they got was this past offseason, John Marino from the Pittsburgh Penguins. BK brought him up. Uh, He was acquired for a first-round draft pick, a prospect, and uh, a third-round draft pick. So that was a heavy trade, but you got a guy who's playing in your top four right now. And then on there— He's 25 years old, making $4.5 million for like the next five years. Absolutely. And then on their third pair, they've got a guy who's been there for the last few seasons, and then they've got a player who they acquired back in 2019. But look at the top four. You'd went from being bad for three, four seasons on the defensive side where you were able to trade two guys off of it. One guy you put through waivers and he got claimed and then two guys you had to wait for them to become a free agent. But then you were able to go out there and acquire three of your top four defensemen for a second round pick, two prospects, one of them being a really good prospect and then two third round picks. It is very possible for you to change the look of your defense with a couple of moves in the offseason. The only difference with this, and again, I went Sherlock Holmes on this, is these guys that they moved on from, they didn't have the term that the Blues have on their guys. Like Andy Green was a pending free agent, was a trade deadline acquisition for the Islanders for a playoff push. The other guy who was traded for nothing, Dallas uses him now as a third-pairing defenseman, but you got rid of $3.7 million, and I think he only had two years left on his contract. But if you're willing to part with draft picks, if you're willing to part with prospects, you can overhaul this defense in a matter of two seasons to being one of the worst in the NHL to one of the best in the NHL. So I think let's start with the forwards, and we'll get to the defensemen here in just a moment because I think that's maybe the longer conversation for the Blues. But 
Forward wise, I think you actually kind of already match up with a lot of what and this is going to sound weird to say because we know that the Devils are very good in terms of their offense. But I think you kind of have a similar offense to what they have in their top six forward wise. Hughes is kind of your version of Cairo, right? Small, fun, energetic, good goal scorer, can create for others as well. Positionally, don't worry much about that. But just in terms of the way that they play, the skill, the speed, and honestly, the cap hit mm-hmm. is another part of this. Very similar. Hughes is making $8 million. He sure is basically your version of Thomas. $7.25 million for them. Thomas is about to make eight point two five for the Blues. Their Palat, he's not playing right now, but... Uh, he's basically Shin for them, like an older veteran that you know is going to play that heavier style and is going to bring you a consistent game every single night. Uh, Brad is probably your version of Pavel Buchnevich in terms of what he's making for them. He's an RFA after the season, making $5.5 million, 24 years old, fits into their core age group. Same thing as Buchnevich here. And then Tatar is basically your version of Saad, who's a consistent, really solid player, making $4.5 bucks in his early 30s. It's no coincidence that both teams are really aggressively pursuing Timo Meyer. Those top sixes look pretty similar to me. And so it does. It it really comes back to, okay, if you've got a similar top, those are five. So, yeah, the Meyer would be the sixth part of that. What do you have defensively? And that's where they are just light years ahead of you Mm -hmm. right now. And they're younger. They're cheaper. They're better. That is a lot of things that you've got to become. And you kind of laid the blueprint there. And this is why I'm so curious to see what Doug Armstrong is able to do. I think that you've got pieces that for whatever reason, whether we agree with it or not, teams around the NHL value Colton Pareko. Teams around the NHL value what Tory Krug brings to a power play unit. If you can move those contracts... It doesn't have to be a three to five year build here. It doesn't have to be something where next season we're watching the exact same defensive core with the exact same struggles again. It could take a step back because maybe they don't have a Dougie Hamilton that becomes available. Maybe Ryan Graves isn't out there this offseason. Maybe there isn't a John Marino that a contender says, hey, man, we've got so many other moves that we've got to make. We can't have a four and a half million dollar young defenseman that we pay right now. Those guys might not become available. But you got to present, you've got to make it possible so that if they do become available, you're there. You're there at the ready and you've got the prospect and draft pick capital to make those kinds of moves. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, that's why when we say, what are we watching the rest of the season? If I'm a Blues fan, I'm evaluating the growth of my defensemen and where they're at. A lot of people say, we know what Pareko is. We know what Falk is. We know what Krug is. We know what Scandella is. But do you? Because this is a bad season for everyone. What if Falk is what he was last season? That's my top four defense. What if Pareko is what he was in the second half of last season? That can be for them what Graves is for the Devils. Absolutely. And honestly, a Jacob Chikrin, if they decide to go that path, could be the start of this transition in the defensive zone. Somebody texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. So, Alex, what you're saying is we have to wait out the Pareko and Krug contract. Your kids are going to be grown. BK's kids are going to be grown. Hell, Tanner might even have a kid by that time. Wow. That'll be a long time. I'm not saying that because the the difference between what New Jersey had to do with P.K. Subban... They, they had to wait out P.K. Subban because there was no interest around the National Hockey League for him. They had to wait out. Um, I, f- I forgot who the other one was. I threw all of my notes away. Now I'm going to have to go look that up in the trash can. But they had to wait those guys out because nobody had interest in them. There are people interested in your defenseman. But you might need to still be interested in your defenseman if you feel like they fit into your calibration. You can totally wheel and deal this offseason the, at the draft. 
we didn't think Ryan McDonough would have become available from the Tampa Bay exactly. Lightning. I, I mean, there could be guys that a team says we can't afford this that you can hop in on. Heck, I don't. We don't want to go down this path. Maybe Philadelphia has to move on from Travis Sanheim. Does that player fit into your mold? Maybe Ivan Provorov pops back up again. I don't think I'm interested. I don't think I am either. But what I'm saying is defensemen will become available and it becomes, do you have the ability to move these pieces out? Is there still interest? And can you go after and and swallow the amount of ability that's going to take for you to trade for one of those players? Because I guarantee you the Devils didn't want to trade away Ty Smith, their first overall draft pick, who was 19th overall. But they did to get John Marino, who's a top four defenseman, and now they've got players that are playing well behind him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, uh, this season needs to be an outlier for Robert Thomas. I just mentioned, if you're going to have a similar build to what the Devils uh, have become, he needs to be like Nico Heischer for your team. Can he be that? He was last year. Can he be coming again next year? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, if you could have a Guinness World Record, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. <laughs> yeah, haven't we done this on the show? Would there be one specifically that you would want to seek out? Tanner, I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but is there one like longest fingernails? I didn't know where you were, I didn't know where you were going. going. I already have that one. Well, let's Tallest? See, let's see what I'm good at. No, what T-Bone was thinking. Oh, which, interesting. Uh, let's let's see what I'm good oh, at. Toenails. I'm, I'm good at hitting softball home runs, so maybe the Always. most home runs oh, hit no. in a softball game. You hit the um, No, I, I always would seek out the ones that I feel like I could do rather than ones that like, like the oh, longest, hold, long, most amount of time that. holding out a uh, balloon. Holding, oh, keeping the balloon in the air. PK, no. It's a great game. Me, I could probably do me that Me and my one. niece and nephew do it every Sunday. I could probably. The the balloons pop a lot. Hit the ceiling. They got the popcorn ceiling. Hey, how the hell do the balloons pop? Yeah. Once it hits the popcorn ceiling. I could probably ceiling, do that one. Or like, um, you ever you ever used to watch the, the game show Minute to Win It? Oh, yeah, of Or course. 60 oh, Seconds yeah. or Less or something like that. Where That's you where I got to- the idea for our game. Our blues, by the way, can you beat current or former blues is coming up at 1.30. Yeah, it's turning into can you beat the former blues. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly is going to be our contestant today, like, so you know, we'll, the, we'll get into that coming I'd like up to know here what the record is so. for ripping tissues out of a tissue box. Ooh, that's a certain good one. Time. I feel like I could do that one. I'm quick with my hands. Don't you hold a record? What was it that we tried to beat? It was oh, no, Capri Sun. He did it. I, I spilled it mine everywhere. And then somebody else beat it. I po- Yeah, somebody, actually a listener beat it. I, like, I remember us trying to do that. For some reason, I feel like it was like during round one of the NCAA tournament. It was. We were at Ballpark Village when, when BK did it. I wasn't involved. I, I, popped a, I popped a hole in mine and it spilled everywhere, so I lost. So the reason I ask is because a gentleman with the l- world's longest tongue uses Gene it Simmons? for a very specific reason. Oh, dude, you can't do that on the air. Nick Stob- Stobler <laughs> was award- awarded the world's record for longest tongue by a male. It was officially measured in at four inches from his 
uh, tip to the teeth. He was recently on a TV show. And he said that his main usage of this tongue is to paint. What? He uses his tongue to paint. I was just thinking to myself. So he ate a lot of lead when he was a child. That can't be healthy. (laughs) Do you you eat a lot of paint chips when you were a child? (laughs) Why? Guys, don't get that reference to you. It's okay. He was given the nickname. This is reading from a news story. Oh, dude, you're going to get fired. Licasso <laughs> for his unusual painting method. Get the hell out of here. He said that it's his painting. Picasso. Nope. Uh, it's Licasso. L-I-C-K-A-S-S-O. That's Licasso. Picasso. Mm-hmm. Nope. Licasso. Licasso. <laughs> you just want to find a way to say <laughs> no, the no, word. No, no, no. It's Licasso. <laughs> it's Licasso. L-I-C-K-A-S-S-O. How would you pronounce that? Text line 314 Seven seven four or nine six Lick nine four six. Licasso is his name. It's Licasso. His paintings. How much do you think his paintings sell for? Five dollars. I don't care. One paint that you licked. Nope. It's got. It's got to sell for like thousands Millions. of dollars. Twelve hundred dollars. Oh, his paintings are worth twelve hundred dollars. I wonder if he signs his nickname Licasso or if he actually goes with his regular name, his God-given name. God only knows. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Eno Saris, baseball writer over at The Athletic. He said yesterday he thinks Lars Newtbar can hit 25 home runs, bat 280 on the season, and steal 10 bags in this upcoming year. He'll tell us why coming up at, at 115. But coming up next, this season needs to be an outlier performance for Robert Thomas. We'll explain why coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So earlier today, Alex explained in a way that only he can how the Blues can be can follow the path of the New Jersey Devils. And that sounds worse than it actually is. If you picked up where the Devils were at last year in their rebuild process, that's where we hope that the Blues are right now as they try to gain some traction going into the 2023 season. And Alex, earlier today, ESPN.com put together a list of the top 10 centers in the NHL right now. As you might expect, Jack Hughes was prominently featured on that list. He's at number eight. He's got 46 points so far on this season. Alex, if we were doing this list this time last year, I think, and I I don't remember if they did it or not, I would imagine that there would have been some honorable mention votes for Robert Thomas. I feel like they did do it last year, and Thomas was at least trending in the right direction. I'll have to go back and look to see if that was indeed the case. But I think he would have at least, and certainly here in St. Louis, received some some consideration for the top 10, probably would have been on the outside looking in. This year, as they did the list, and they they probably had another, what do you think, eight guys that were listed here as honorable mention players mm-hmm. outside of the top 10. So basically a top 18, top 20 list. Robert Thomas's name is not mentioned a single time on that list. Alex, if the Blues are going to become the team that Doug Armstrong wants and believes that they can be, he's going to need to at least become an honorable mention. He's going to have to be in the conversation with like a Dylan Larkin or uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Nick Suzuki, Nico Heischer. Those guys have to be in the same conversation in the future with Robert Thomas. If 
they're going to be calm what you talked about earlier with the New Jersey Devils comp. I, I think Dylan Larkin is a, is a good comp for Robert Thomas. And honestly, Nico Heischer's right there as well. But but I look at Dylan Larkin because he was a, a middle of the draft pick. And I know that isn't the end all be all because guys have been selected deep into the draft that have had a lot of success. But, you, you know, you look at a guy who's six foot one, 198 pounds with the Detroit Red Wings. He had his dominant season. I think it was five years ago where he had 73 points in 76 games. Not the best defensive centerman, but you know he's got offense. The only difference between Dylan Larkin and Robert Thomas is I don't know if Robert Thomas is a 30-goal scorer. And he maybe he makes that up on the assist side of things where Dylan Larkin is kind of a little bit of an in-between. But the reason I bring up Dylan Larkin is because he's progressed and regressed. He's progressed and regressed. You've seen a season where it's like, damn, he's looking like a number one center. And then the next season, 2019, 2020, you're like, what happened to Dylan Larkin? He had 53 points in 71 games and it was a minus 21. And then it regressed. And then it started to build back up. And then it built up again. That's where I feel like Robert Thomas is at. But the only difference between Robert Thomas and Dylan Larkin is Robert Thomas has been around veterans and is still around veterans. That progress should continue to move quickly for him to where you spent your entire career behind Ryan O'Reilly. Now you're spending your time with a Braden Shen, who more than likely will be the next captain of this team. You're going to be viewed as this spot. I look at a lot of guys as an outlier of a season. Robert Thomas might be number one on that list because He's making the decisions that he didn't make last year, where it just feels like he looks lost out there. He's throwing pucks into empty areas where last season you could see the vision that he was working with on the ice. So looking at a Dylan Larkin, I do feel like Robert Thomas is right around that same trajectory. And the good part about it is Thomas is younger than Dylan Larkin. So I find it interesting that we are in this spot now with Robert Thomas. And it's a reminder that progress is not in the least bit linear. We thought last year, okay, Robert Thomas having his breakout. Now it's just going to get better from here. There's no way it reverts back. It does. Sometimes you you take two steps forward, you take one step back. You take two steps forward, you take one step back. That's a Christmas song. And it's frustrating. It is. I get it. If you're somebody that's watching right now, how? It's the same thing with uh, Jordan Cairo. I thought last year, especially towards the end of the season, got a little better defensively. This year, even like after the first 10 games or so, mm-hmm. felt like he took a step forward defensively. And now you're seeing some of those same lapses once again. It's about habits. And sometimes guys revert back to what they know and what they're comfortable with. And that can be super frustrating for us as fans to watch. And it's also frustrating for Doug Armstrong to watch. And what he's done in the decisions that he's made to trade O'Reilly, to trade Vladimir Tarasenko multiple weeks prior to the trade deadline is he's given a blunt assessment of where the Blues are at right now. That is in part because of the young players that we're talking about with Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyrou taking a bit of a step back. Here's what he had to say about when he knew that the Blues were going to be sellers. Good teams don't fluctuate the, the way we fluctuated. Win three, lose eight, win seven, lose five, win three. Like that's what what that indicates to me is a team that doesn't have a foundation and and something to fall back on quickly when things are going bad. We allowed when things went bad, we allowed that to that snowball to gain momentum going down the hill. And when things were going good, that snowball gained momentum going down the hill too. Does Doug Armstrong's blunt assessment, Alex, give you more or less faith? in him turning this thing around quickly. It gives me more faith. When he said that during his press conference, I'm thinking we haven't heard this from Doug Armstrong possibly ever, but to be realistic, 
going back to when they traded away Paul Stastny because he said that his team's not good enough to go deep into the playoffs. But him saying that, this is what I brought up uh, earlier this week. Like last season, this team was eerily similar to that, but it felt like it was a little bit of denial from Doug Armstrong. Like this team's better than what we're seeing right now, but they would win a few games and lose a few games. They'd win a few games. They'd win a few games by giving up five, six, seven goals. And you stuck with it because you felt like, you know what, they could break out of this. They look like a good team. You had the leadership in place and you went that direction with it. And look what they did. Nearly paid it off. But the fact that Doug Armstrong addressed the media by saying that on top of him saying back at the beginning of the season, if this is a bad team and they they have the talent, but they're not performing, then that's on me. That gives me faith in Doug Armstrong to say, I'm not going to stick with guys if they're not performing the way we expect them to. What I'm going to be curious about, and I think we're maybe already seeing some of this based on the trade rumors that are out there right now, Doug Armstrong has at times in the past been willing to admit that he was wrong on things. I think that's really, it's one of the most important qualities to have as a president of hockey operations or just being in charge of really any field, like whether you're in sports or otherwise, is being able to admit when, okay, we might have made a mistake here. And let's let's try to correct that mistake before it becomes something worse for us. So like Colton Pareko, for example, maybe they were wrong in giving him an eight year contract worth six and a half per. I don't know if they were or not, but maybe they were. If he thinks that they were wrong on that, admit defeat now as opposed to trying to continue making that right. As opposed to trying to make it work for the next three years, losing any value that remains on the contract. And now instead of trying to trade a guy in his early 30s, you're trading a guy that's in his mid 30s with five years remaining at six and a half per. And now no team's going to want to take on the contract. Admit defeat early, not late. If you think that you were wrong, and I don't think they were. I'm still in Jordan Cairo's uh, corner. But I know there is a lot of our listening audience right now that is just totally out on Jordan Cairo. If Doug Armstrong shares that belief, Alex, I know that you mentioned this the other day, he should consider trading him for Timo Meyer if the Sharks are willing to do that kind of a trade. I wouldn't because I am only going to be moving Jordan Cairo in a deal where I think we definitively make this club better, and I don't know if that definitively does it. I would have done it for Matthew Kachuk. I would not do that for Timo Meyer. I think those are different levels of what kind of a player you're going out there to acquire. But those are the kinds of things that I think Army is ready to do, not necessarily trading Jordan Cairo, but admitting defeat on stuff where you placed a big bet somewhere. Are you willing to come off of that bet if you end up feeling like you were wrong? This ownership group will not stand for a rebuild. So for people that say we're headed for a five to seven year stretch of bad hockey, the ownership group won't stand for it which is why Doug Armstrong has accomplished what he's done in the past. And I brought this up to you guys when I thought about this topic. It, to, to sit here and act like that Doug Armstrong can't get this done is just incorrect. I, I, yes, he's made some bad decisions. Tory Krug probably being one of them at the time. It was a reactionary decision to get somebody when you lost on Alex Petrangelo. But... Let's also not forget what he did in one offseason where you missed the playoffs and then you went out and reshaped your center depth. You didn't just reshape it with one player. You reshaped the depth by getting O'Reilly and Bozak and then adding offense to David Perron and adding a Pat Maroon. He did the exact same thing after the bubble season. Mike Hoffman didn't work. He thought it was going to. I remember that postgame press conference where he held and said, maybe we thought 
players worked in positions that they weren't going to work into a system. That was Mike Hoffman. And he gave the opportunities to Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford, and it didn't work. What did he do? He traded all of them. Walked away from Hoffman, although he, at least the reports where he gave Hoffman a contract extension. Um, walked away from Sanford to trade him for Logan Brown. Traded Sammy Blay for Pavel Buchnevich and upgraded your offense with Pavel Buchnevich. If this is his mindset, don't doubt Doug Armstrong because he will be the the most wheeling and dealing general manager at March 3rd's trade deadline and at the draft and beyond the draft. He said it in his press conference. August 15th is when I'll know what this team looks like. That's by by that day, he's going to rest because he's going to look at it and say, this is my roster. And until then, he's got a lot of moving and shaking to do. And there's a lot of decisions that have to be made between now and then. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you've been listening the last couple of fr- or Thursdays, you are familiar with our new game, Can You Beat the Blues? We play with current and former players. We didn't expect we that to be the case. Current. But here we are. Today, you are going up against new member of the Toronto Maple Leafs, recent hat trick artist for the Toronto Maple the Leafs, factor. Ryan O'Reilly. If you are the winner today, you will win a signed puck by Ryan O'Reilly and a pair of tickets on March 19th to watch the St. Louis Blues take on the Winnipeg Jets with the new look St. Louis Blues roster that's post-trade deadline. Oh, yeah. So if you are texture number 314-399-9646 and you text in saying I can beat the blues if you are texting number 52 blue number 77 number 90 number 91 those four player four textures uh, will cold. be the participants for this week's can you beat the blues we'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so Eno Saris of the athletic joins us next year on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Eno Saris, baseball writer over at The Athletic. Eno was a member was somebody that won an award yesterday for his podcast. So congratulations on the award. Eno. we appreciate the time as always. How you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, rates and barrels over the athletic. Uh, Welcome anytime. Absolutely. Congratulations. It's a great podcast. It is well worth listening to. And, you know, you also do some great writing over at The Athletic. And yesterday, one of the reasons we reached out is because you wrote this sentence. Lars Newtbar could easily hit 280 this season with 25 home runs and 10 or more stolen bases. And then you continued about where he's going in fantasy drafts. Hey, you know, uh, can we expect that here in St. Louis from Lars Newbar this year? I mean, he's uh, he's doing everything that a hitter can do in modern uh, technology and data training. He's been at driveline two uh, consecutive off seasons. Where last off season he worked on uh, improving his bat speed, and I actually worked with him, took my shirt off, and got down there in the in the weeds with him, and uh, he was doing things like just looking at how fast his bat was going, just taking swings and looking at seeing if he could get it to 76, 78 miles an hour uh, with his bat. So similar to what, what pitchers do when they train. Um, and he got his bat speed up, and you saw his power get up there. 
And what he did this offseason was train a little bit more with regards to, can I pull this ball in the air? So now I have the fast bat. Can I make the most of my uh, hits by pulling this ball in the air? I do the same thing, you know, but I usually take my shirt off when I'm eating a burger to try and force myself to stop eating that burger. <laughs> Does it work? No, it doesn't work. I just finished the burger. I just I just I finished the burger. You go, you know, it just doesn't work. Uh, speaking of Lars Nupar, though, I mean, so we do a top twenty most important Cardinals list for our show uh, before the start of the regular season. He, you know, seems to be the most difficult one for me to figure out because if that's the the opportunity he has in front of him, he becomes the most important Cardinals outfielder. But if that's not there, you sit there and wonder: Can this Cardinals outfield survive with the uncertainty of Newpar and Carlson and Walker and Tyler O'Neill? Yeah, I've thought, found it particularly interesting that Tyler O'Neill is taking rest of center field, though. That suggests to me that there's a little bit of risk there for either one of Tyler uh, Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson to be a loser in this battle. I think we agree. You know? we, we talked about that yesterday. It was something that we opened with. I, I think one thing we're learning here, Eno, about the Cardinals and the way that uh, Ollie Marmel handles things as opposed to previous managers here in St. Louis is that he's basically going to go into the season with four outfielders that are playing, if not every day, regularly. And so even if Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson, quote unquote, loses that battle, I think you're going to see them still playing four or five times a week. So you're going to see him out there a lot, even though it might technically be as a fourth outfielder, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that does make sense. And that also leaves the door open for a Mr. Walker to make the mm-hmm. team. If I'm reading between the lines enough there, I mean, that what you're saying is Tyler O'Neill is the backup uh, center fielder and the sometimes left fielder. Uh, Carlson is the, or one of them is a starting center fielder, or there is the backup center fielder, or sometimes other outfielder. But I do think that Newt Barr being a left-hander that is fast um, is particularly set up to benefit from the new rules. Uh, there's not going to be as much shifting for him on the left side, uh, on the right side of the infield, that he can, so he can get some hits that way. Uh, he's also fast, so he can take advantage of the new stolen base rules. And, um, you know, he's not a defensive lug that needs to play DH. So, um, you know, I, I think that he's going to get uh, at least two-thirds of the regular uh, playing time there. But you're right. Um, what they could also do, I believe, Yepes has options. Yes. Yes. So they could, they could let uh, the four outfielders kind of also take over DH some. So that depends on how much they want. You know Brendan Donovan to play. Yeah, it depends on Nolan Gorman. You know, so they, they, there's a lot going on uh, on this depth chart. But offensively, I don't have uh, that many questions about this squad. I think this is a really good offensive squad with some upside, some veterans. Uh, it's just uh, really solid everywhere. It is, and it's deeper than it has been in most recent seasons for the Cardinals, too. That's what you're kind of getting at there, where it's like, okay, where's Nolan Gorman playing? Well, one day it might be second, the next day it might be DH. Okay, where's, where is uh, Juan Yepes at? Well, one day it might be first base while Goldie's getting a day at DH, and then the next day it's DH, mm-hmm. and then maybe in left field. It, there's going to be a lot of maneuverability with this roster. And, you know, that brings us to my next question for you. I, I was asking this of the audience earlier today. Which of these position players, if you had to place a bet, would you bet on having the best season for the Cardinals in 2023? And you can qualify that however you'd like. Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar, Nolan Gorman, 
Juan Yepes. Out of those four, O'Neal, Newt, Gorman, and Yepes, who would you place a bet on to have the best season for the Cardinals this year? I'm going Newt. I mean, I, I think maybe Tyler O'Neal, um, especially if he's playing center. Like, if you're going by wins above replacement, he might have a better year. Um, but I just love Newt Barr's ability to pair contact and patience with power. Um, Tyler O'Neill seems to uh, sometimes go into funks where he can do one or two or of the three. <laughs> uh, it's very rare that he can do all three, you know. Um, and, and so I, I just think that he's going to be a streaky hitter, a little bit up and down, where Newt Barr can be more uh, regular. But I will say that this is a bit of a hot take. The projections say it's easily Tyler O'Neill. So, you know, actually, let me follow up with that with Tyler O'Neill. How important do you feel like he's going to be to this Cardinals offense this season? I think it's built that it's he's a bonus guy. You know, I mean, they did so well last year, and uh, he was barely – he was just league average, you know? So he if he's uh, going – maybe he can cover some regression from some of their veterans, but – um, I don't think this the offense depends on him. Okay. Now the one I wanted to get to, you know, is Jordan Montgomery on the pitching side of things, because a lot has been talked about this Cardinals rotation and how they do need uh, a legit ace at the top of that rotation to make them that dangerous team for a world series competitor. I don't think Jordan Montgomery can get to that level, but could people be possibly sleeping on Jordan Montgomery this season? You know, he does not have the top end stuff of a Corbin Burns, uh, you know, or, you know, some of these other Jake DeGrom types. Um, and he, you know, I've got a model that uh, projected his uh, strikeout rate and his ERA based on his, you know, stuff and location and other, other factors. 347 ERA uh, with basically a league average strikeout rate. Um, that's good. That's really good. Uh, it's, not necessarily uh, what you would call like a top 15 pitcher in the league or, or anything. So uh, if you're talking about a top 30 pitcher in the league, uh, he's, he's getting there close there. And then what happens with the Cardinals is they bunch up a lot of guys. They've got a lot of good pitchers. Um, it's just, uh, I do think that they're missing the top end talent of other teams, not in the bullpen. I mean, Ryan Helsley is, uh, I think one of the best five relievers in the game, maybe four. When you look at Jack Flaherty, and I'm looking at your your piece right now, you know, projecting the starting pitchers, the strikeout rates, the stuff that they have available, and you've got Jack basically projected to be league average when it comes to that kind of stuff. How do you view him going into this season? It is a truly make-or-break year for him here in St. Louis. It's a contract season. He hasn't been healthy the last couple of years. How do you try to project what Jack Flaherty is going to be in 2023? Yeah, it's really difficult because we can go off of what his uh, fastball velocity, what his pitches were moving like last year, but we also know the story of what his last year was, where he came up, maybe rushed it, went back down, was kind of basically hurt all year. Um, And so, you know, do we think that he can get fully healthy and get back to where he was before? Um, And he did. He he is the guy that does maybe have the upside to have like something like a 30 percent strikeout rate. The 30 percent strikeout rate is basically like top 10 in the league. Um, And he's had, you know, a 29 percent one on his on his uh, on his register. But that was uh, vintage Jack Flaherty. So are we going to are we can we get back to vintage Jack Flaherty is the question. I'm not sure that any uh, of my numbers can really answer that question we can maybe see it with our eyeballs in the next few weeks. I think that's where we're looking is 
does Jack Flaherty look like the old Jack Flaherty? That's the question for the next three weeks. Final question for Eno Saris here on 101 ESPN. Eno, if you had a, a pitcher that your model likes or that you just particularly like for the Cardinals, maybe it's in the minor leagues that we'll see eventually. Maybe it's somebody that's on the big league roster right now. Who is one of the Cardinals pitchers that you like more than most, in your opinion? Hmm. Um, <laughs> Steven Matz. <laughs> Steven Matz is the guy that the model says uh, has above average stuff, has the best stuff um, of any of the uh, the starters, uh, not named Wainwright. Um, and uh, it plugs out a, a 3.53 ERA for him um, and a league, league average strikeout rate. I know it's not a, a popular answer because of all the injuries, uh, but he's as important, uh, I think, to how this team goes as Jack Flaherty because, you know, uh, th- they're, they're credible guys that could have, you know, 25, 26% strikeout rates. This team, by the way, was projected by Zips. Uh, a projection system over at Fangraphs to have the uh, second or third worst strike. I think it was the second worst strikeout rate in baseball this year. Yeah, we talked about Do that the other that, day. Do you buy that, Eno? Yeah, it's not good. I mean, they, they had the second worst strikeout rate last year. <laughs> so, I mean, I buy it. Uh, the, the, so that's why I talk about Matt and Flaherty, because those are the guys that can push the needle. You need, you need lots of innings. Yes, Gallegos and Helsley are really, really good, and they strike out a lot of guys but they're not going to pitch 200 innings or even 150. So, so you know, each. So, you know, you need Flaherty and Matts to move the needle there. We talked about that the other day, and I brought up the 2015 Cardinals. Now, this was an outlier season. Like, you, you can't expect that performance that they had in 2015 from their rotation to just repeat itself with low strikeout rate, but high uh, quantity innings from your arms. But that year they had John Lackey, Michael Walker, Carlos Martinez, Lance Lynn, and Jaime Garcia, uh, Garcia, none of whom had more than nine strikeouts per nine innings that year. Um, if they're going to have success, it probably follows that model, right? I mean, they've, they've been doing it. And there's two things that are in their favor, which is the park. The park, you know, helps you with balls in place, particularly fly balls. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that is like the quote unquote Cardinals way, which is, you know, produces players that are credible defenders or better than credible at every, at, when they get to the big leagues, you know, they, they are good at sorting through their, their players. They're good at producing major leaguers. They're good at, at promoting the ones that play defense well. So those things are all still true. The problem is the shift is going to put pressure on those guys. So, for example, Nolan Gorman could have probably been a second baseman under you know old rules where you're shifting him, you're protecting him, you're putting him where the ball is going to go. But is Nolan Gorman good enough defensively to you know dive for a ball up the middle um, and provide you the kind of defense that Tommy Edmond would at, at short at second base? Um, and if you do plug in Gorman there, uh, do you lose a, a bunch defensively? And does this lack of strikeouts start to hurt you more? So. That, that I mean, there's there's some question of of how their personnel fits with the new rules. It's going to be really interesting. Eno, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll certainly catch up with you again as we get closer to the cardinal start of the season and as we get to see what some of these things look like in spring training and then into the regular season. Always appreciate it. We wish you the best, man. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Eno Saris, baseball writer over at The Athletic. Always appreciate him hopping on with us and giving us some time. Alex, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in, uh, in, in deeper thought tomorrow. 
But I asked him about the position players that you would bet on to have the best season in 2023 out of O'Neal, Newt, Gorman, and Yepes. He went with Lars and Newt Bar. I've got this, by the way, on Twitter uh, on a poll at BK Sports Talk. Who would you go with out of those four? If you were to place a bet. I would go with O'Neal because if he can stay healthy, it's pretty obvious he's going to be the best out of all of those. But second would be Lars Newtbar. I would definitely go with O'Neal first because I think if he's healthy and he's hitting the ball like he did in 2021, he's going to be hitting for average. Maybe he runs into some bad luck, but without the shift, maybe it ends up helping him too. And he, he's just, he's a five tool player. He has the tools to be a superstar. And yep. the fact of the matter that he's sitting in kind of that, what Eno said and what I said earlier, is kind of that complimentary role and it's kind of a bonus to add into this offense. I think he's a guy that could have a year. I would actually put Yepes second. I, I think Yepes could have a big year for the St. Louis Cardinals. Interesting. I, I would go O'Neal 1, Lars Newtbar 2 in terms of how I would bet on them. I do think that the Cardinals need at least two of these guys to exceed like the typical expectations for them in order for the Cardinals to be the offense that I think that they can be this year. You need at least two of them. It doesn't really matter to me who they are, but I think you need two of them uh, to be able to make this offense work. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, we've got our four contestants. It is our weekly Thursday game called Can You Beat the Blues? The contestants today are playing against Ryan O'Reilly, so former Blues. They're playing for a pair of tickets to March 19th's game for the Blues against the Winnipeg Jets and a signed puck by Ryan O'Reilly. Can You Beat the Blues? Coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for one of our favorite games that we play here on BK and Ferrario. It's called Can Can You Beat the Blues? Current or former uh, edition. Mostly Ryan O'Reilly is our contestant today. We do have our four players on the line right now. Will, Ryan, David, and Jason are the four contestants going up against Ryan O'Reilly. If you're new to the game, this is the way that it works. Our contestants, Will, Ryan, David, and Jason, will have 15 seconds to name as many things as they can within a specific category ryan o'reilly has the same category we've already talked with him about these different things and he will try to name as many things as he can within that same category in 15 seconds whoever has more at the end between those two that is the winner of that particular round the best margin of victory at the end of the four players against ryan o'reilly will be the winner of the game will get a signed puck by ryan o'reilly and a pair of tickets to march 19th's game against the winnipeg jets that is the way this all works it's a very simple game and we call it sounds like it can you beat the blues will is our first contestant today will how you doing man Doing well, man. How are you? Uh, doing very well. Will, do you understand the rules of the game? Yes, sir. All, All right, right, Will. Get excited. We're about to take down Ryan O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. Let's do this. There we go. All right, Will. Here uh, is your <laughs> your category today. You will have 15 seconds to name as many right. musical instruments as you can. Musical instruments in 15 seconds on your mark. Get set. Go. Trombone, trumpet, flute, uh, drums, keyboard, guitar, harpsichord. Uh, did you, con- <laughs> did you, con- did you confuse yourself on that last one? Because did was you that call a, it a harpsichord? 
Yeah. Harp- I said harpsichord. Harpsichord. Okay. What did, did you just? It Google is that? a keyboard musical instrument in which strings oh. are set to vibrating by plucking. Of course, the harpsichord. Yeah. Oh, the harpsichord. <laughs> How could I forget? It's, it's, it's an old school. It's an old school uh, piano. A.K.A. Will knew more than both these guys. Yeah. It's yeah. like the jazz flute from Anchorman. I figured he didn't just pull it out of nowhere. All right. All right. Got Will, seven. I, I got him with eight. I got him with eight on that one. Oh, maybe no? I, maybe I didn't. That. All right. He said, <laughs> let's do that. All right, Will, we're going to put you on hold. Let's find out how many musical instruments Ryan O'Reilly can name in 15 seconds. Oh, gosh. Okay. Guitar, piano, ukulele, banjo, mandolin, um, xylophone, piano, um, Drums, uh, trumpet, uh, horn, uh, oh my gosh, violin. I got 11. All right, I got 11 as well. Will, thanks for calling today, man. Unfortunately, you could not beat the blues. Ryan O'Reilly able to get 11 musical instruments. You see how O'Reilly started that where he said, oh gosh, like I'm not going to get this and then rattles (laughs) off 11. I like it. All right, Ryan is our next contestant. Ryan, you are taking on Ryan O'Reilly today. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Is this O'Reilly? Is this Ryan from Toronto? He's calling us live Uh, from Toronto right now. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ryan, do you understand the rules of the game? Yes. All right, Ryan, you are going to take on Ryan O'Reilly in things that you would drink. Things that you would drink. Name as many as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Water, Gatorade, Kool-Aid, soda, Alcohol, uh, I guess beer, wine, whiskey, bourbon, margaritas. Um, oh, man, I'm drawing a blank. Orange juice. Ooh. I'll give him it at the board buzzer because he said orange juice. Now, just, just so we all as a group, I'm going to give him 10 because he said alcohol, but then he went and listed off the alcohol. So I took alcohol away and so then took all the ones. nine, right? Because I had 10 for him, and then you take away the yeah. alcohol. That would be nine. Okay. All right, Ryan, we're giving you nine. You got nine. Let's find out how many things Ryan O'Reilly can name that he would drink in 15 seconds. Got to be nine. I guess uh, beer, apple juice, orange juice, uh, cranberry juice, uh, you know, water, Sprite, Coke, Mountain Dew, Pepsi. um, Oh, my gosh. uh, Ah, I'm just. He got eight. I got nine, right? Oh, I got eight on that one. On O'Reilly? Yeah. Come on, Tanner. You're supposed to be counting with us. There's so much running on over here. I have no idea. I had nine for Ryan O'Reilly. Did you have eight? I had eight. You know what? We're going to go with eight. We're going with eight because we took one away from Ryan, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Ryan, you are a plus one right now. You're our leader in the clubhouse for Can You Beat the Blues? Let's go to contestant number three. This is going to be David. David, how you doing today? Do you understand the rules, my friend? I do. How you guys doing? Doing Great. fantastic. We appreciate you being a part of this. Yeah, apparently none of us can count here, David, so hopefully we don't uh, screw you over on this one. We'll do our best. All right, David, your category today. Name as many things as you can that you would buy in a store in 15 seconds. As many things as you can that you would buy in a store on your mark, get set, go. Peppers, onions, meat, steak, potatoes. Food, cereal, juice, soda, uh, Pop-Tarts, granola bars, Popsicles, ice cream, uh, dessert. 
13. Well I got 13 for David. Okay, good. We're on the same page on that one. <laughs> good I, I job, could David. feel David walking down the aisle yeah. of Schnucks. So I felt Man. like I was walking down the aisle yeah, with David, him. are you sure you're not grocery shopping while you were listing those off? No. Okay, yeah, good, good. Store. You're like me. You don't like the grocery store. It's well done. 13 is a, guy, like a nice score. Let's see how many things Ryan O'Reilly can name that he would buy in a store. All right. Uh, hats, pants, shirts, shoes, socks, underwear, um, vegetables, fruits, cereal, bread, feet, meats, dog. Uh, Everything. He already said meat, so he got. I got him for ten. I got a ten too. All right, so David, you are now the new leader in the clubhouse. Ryan has been knocked out. I'm David not, got a plus three. I'm Did really, he say a feet? He said feet when he meant meat, but I'm not really sure where he was shopping. Maybe it had been that Walmart Supercenter where you had the food and you had the the clothes course, everywhere. Target, maybe you got a lot of different options for you. That you, you pronounce it wrong. That. It's Target. Okay. Jason is our final contestant today for Can You Beat the Blues? Jason, how you doing, man? We appreciate you being a part of the game. Do you understand the rules? I'm doing good. Yes, I do. All right. right. Got to beat three. Jason, your category today, name as many rock bands as you can in 15 seconds. As many rock bands as you can on your mark. Get set. Go. Uh, Nickelback, Corn, Leonard Skinner, Metallica, Green Day, uh, Bowling for Soup, Weezer, ACDC. Uh, I think of this. Um, oh, there you go. Got it right in before the buzzer. It? That's nine. nine. That's nine for Jason. Tanner, how many of those uh, bands did you recognize? Uh, I think I recognized nine. most of them. There was like one or two he said in the middle there. I was like, yeah. Do you know Bowling no for Soup? Yeah. Familiar that, with was one, that was one of them that, that he said. You like, know oh, Stacy's mom, though, right? Oh, no, that's love Fountain it? of Wayne. That's not Bowling for Soup. 1985 oh, is Bowling for Soup. I do love that song. Okay, wrong song. <laughs> Moving on. All right, let's see how many rock bands Ryan O'Reilly can name in 15 seconds. He is a big music guy, so we'll see if he does better than nine. Pearl Jam, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, The Band, My Morning Jacket, Band of Horses. Uh, oh my gosh, why am I? <laughs> um, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. A buzzer beater to get to seven, and that means at, at plus three, wow. David is our winner today of Can You Beat the Blues? This is a new thing that we are doing each and every Thursday over the course of the next, I think it's like six weeks or so. Uh, so you will win each Thursday a pair of tickets to see the Blues and a signed hockey puck. Today, David is going home with a signed puck by Ryan O'Reilly and a pair of tickets to the March 19th game against Winnipeg. Wow. That we had all of them Maybe. within like one or two on Ryan O'Reilly. Yep. What a performance by the former St. Louis Blues captain. Yep. He uh he's Damn. quite the player. Damn. Quite what? the man. We miss him. <laughs> Coming up next what? to BK what? Prairie <laughs> everyone. You're on one oh one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, 101ESPN.com. And the free 101ESPN app is where you can find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, so far today, we had Joey Vitale compare the Blues and the Devils to uh, the Tortoise and the Hare. Um, We talked a little bit more about Nicolas Cage movies. We talked about a gentleman with the longest tongue in the world. Um, we you played also, a game against Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, I mean, it's been an all around, I would say, successful show today. You went into a really weird description of uh, missing Ryan O'Reilly, which uh, honestly, I could speak for both of us, made us uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, do you guys not miss Ryan O'Reilly? Do you not wish that he was still here under a no, team friendly deal? I miss that uh, player, but man, when you went I into, am, uh, he's a wonderful guy <laughs> off the ice, and I'm happy he's having success in Toronto. He's like a caterpillar that just broke through his cocoon, and now he's yeah. having success he's as a beautiful butterfly. You know when yeah. that girl that just finds somebody better, you know? Oh, yeah, like when, when you go to the movie theater and, and you yeah. see them making out with the, the yeah. starting quarterback for the high school team that goes on and to start to, at Alabama and Jalen Hurts. Uh, ends up making a ton of money in real estate Was down it in Jones? Dallas. Is this why you don't like the Patriots? And goes on vacation regularly to Cancun. Was A.J. McCarron? Went to oh, Tahiti last year. <laughs> <laughs> he's Alex Ferrari. in the back of the movie theater. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Speaking of caca, who you got tonight? Seattle? Or say, the uh, they play the <laughs> Battle, Battle Hawks. They do oh. play tonight. The Battle Hawks are four and a half point underdog. Battle Hawks all the way, boys. You going money line? No, over. Just text me what the result is. You not watching? No. What's the over under set at thirty two and a half? Uh, I'll have to check, but probably somewhere around there. Good, good. Some exciting football coming your way. I, if the, whatever the first half is, if it's anything above like six and a half, I would I'll take, uh, the, take the under. I'll take the under 150 total passing yards of A.J. McCarron. That sounds about right. Um, for what it's worth, the other team, you remember Ben DiNucci from the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, yeah. He's a starting quarterback for Seattle. You remember Josh Gordon? Yeah. guy that yeah. played in the NFL was pretty good for a while. Is he the one that just kept getting cut by every single team yeah, he'd well, go to? He, he had the weed problem. Uh, now it's not so bad, but at the time it was kind of frowned upon and, you know, the whole thing. Um, he's, he's now in the XFL, and he's playing for Seattle, so you got to go up against him. So, um, yeah. That was we'll a really talk, good one. We'll talk, uh, by the way, on tomorrow's show. We will talk a little bit, a little bit, about St. Louis City SC and the expectations and where they should be set going into this 2023 season. BK's Looking forward to that. Big expectations. Well, we're going to compare them to the other recent um, oh. expansion teams. I've, BK I've got, did his research I'm to halfway, just trash on them. No, 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 no. I'm halfway through my research, and there's at least one team that we can point to that had success. At least one. That might be about it. That's all I've got so far. We'll see if more of my research comes back Can't positive wait. for tomorrow's show. The fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. right here on 101 ESPN. Kaka! You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.